I'll be too nervous to. I'll probably lost the words. Hello listeners to the Lost Words podcast. Uh, this week we have got a podcast that we have recorded with uh, Skylar Hope. We normally do a show, me and Sky, uh, on the Mayo Media Network covering the DP World Tour. Me and Brad were going to cover the Aussie uh, PGA Championship and the Joburg Open this week. And we actually decided to combine it um, with our 2024 preview on the Mayo Media Network. So this is a bumper edition uh, of the podcast. It is actually a two-hour discussion an hour and 50 minutes of it is us previewing our favourite graduates from the Challenge Tour, from Q School, players we project to get to the PJ Tour from the DP World Tour this season. A lot, a lot of talk on that. And then there's a very short period of time at the end with our picks. I am going to insert those picks at the halfway point of this podcast with the UK odds because at the end of this show, you'll hear us rapping for our picks and they are the American odds for the Mayo Media Network show. So, little instruction from me here. We'll then go into the podcast as it was recorded with the Mayo Media Network. And then, about halfway through the show, I'll insert the pics. I'll put a timestamp in the description on the, the podcast feed now, um, telling you what the pics are. And that way, you can go for the pics that way, as opposed to listening right until the end of the show if you don't want to. Uh, thank you all for tuning in. We're going to use this as a barometer to see whether we should carry on for the rest of the year or to have a break until 2024 so if you're already enjoying this podcast and you want more from me and brad uh, for the remainder of the year then please do support this show hello and welcome back the dp world tour picks and bets skylar hoke is here it's been a long layoff a few months by since we've seen you tom jacobs how are you doing my friend yeah i'm good i'd ask you how you were um but you have been through the ringer it sounds like um currently recovering from from covid as i hear um but the exciting news sky when we last broke off obviously new dad life um hopefully it's been treating you well hopefully you've enjoyed the break um i've certainly missed the void of, of talking to you on a on a monday afternoon but um no looking forward to getting back into the ease our way into the saddle i guess is probably the way to put it um ahead of the new 2024 season 100 no it's good to see you too dad life has been a blast um our little one is so fun um and can't wait to get him on the golf course i think we still got a couple months probably years um until that happens but are you gonna do that, that thing where you put him in the high chair and make him watch ten thousand hours worth of golf shots he doesn't want to see my swing that's the thing no. you know is, who is it gonna be now is it is it Aberg or is it are we going are we flashing back to Tiger well, now? It, it's why we're here today, right? I'm sure there's somebody in Q School that we can preview today. And that's why we're also joined by a third guest, first time on the Mayo Media Network, um, combining with us. The show is also going to go on the Lost for Words feed, Tom's normal feed, with his normal co-part, Bradley Todd. Brad, how are you doing today? Good evening, gents. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me, Sky. And uh, I'm a little bit under weather, like yourself. Um, so yeah, it's uh, good to put an apology out there in advance if you hear any like sniffles or anything. But yeah, I'm looking forward to chatting some golf with you both. Perfect. If for those who haven't met or uh, listened to Brad's content, Brad has had one of the uh, best, I guess, meteoric rises, I would say, in the in the gambling <laughs> streets over the last few years. I've loved following Brad's um, picks. You can find him at Bradley underscore Todd. Just you know, unbelievable knowledge across 
so many different tours going on both on the men's and women's side and it's why it's a perfect addition to the show today as we're going to do the 2023-24 dp world tour preview last year we did this with our friends axes and bear off who filled in for us kind of in the stretch run this fall um but this year we're going to go us three um and we're going to go through our favorite challenge tour grads we're going to talk through some of the Q School guys and then preview the events as we're going to get a fun South African and Australian swing here as we go. Anything else, Tom? I guess the season rounded out as we've um, talked through. There were some fun winners. It's good to see Valamaki get a win. Yes. Um, Nikolai Hoygaard, you know, kind of did his thing last week at the DP World Tour Championship. Anything, you know, we were off for, what, since the off for Dunhill pretty much. Um, don't want to skip over anything that was massive that went down. No, I think that's pretty much like the, that's probably the headline events, right? Like I think that the Valamaki one's pretty relevant to us because you know you've, you've been on him a few times in in recent months before we kind of broke and unfortunately just a little bit early before his win, um, you know, decided to take a break while he won. So um, yeah, I think that's it. I think like Nikolai Hoygaard's win was you know incredibly impressive. Um, mm-hmm. Really exciting to see him kind of step up to the plate. Obviously, both myself and Brad were on him, so. Um, you know, it, it was a great win for us. And, yeah, I think, look, Matthew Pavon winning for the first time um, after Dunhill Links was cool. Um, Adrian Ronk won again. And Max Homer looked, tore apart the Ned Bank. And, like, I don't know that that's a massive news story in the sense of, like, that's what he's expected to do. Like, he was 10 to 1 favourite, 12 to 1 favourite, whatever he was. But I think it takes a certain type of player and a certain type of form and confidence to go and do that in the way that he did in his first start in Africa, right? Like it's not, although it's a lower grade than what he's used to, even stepping down to a Corn Ferry Tour event, don't just naturally think they're just going to win it just because they're in a different tour, right? So I think it's just, I think it's impressive to go and, you know, move your game globally. He impressed in the Open Championship earlier this year as well. So he, I think, is, is developed into a completely different goal for over the last six months or so. Uh, so excited for him for 2024. But yeah, I think that's it. I mean, obviously we're, we're going to talk about the, the kind of challenge school and and, and the, uh, the challenge tour and the Q school grads now. So um, I think that that's probably kind of wraps it up. I, the, the the PJ tour cards again. We're going to come on to um, that. I guess was yeah. the biggest wrinkle at the end of the season. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So those those ten golfers that are going to be on the PGA tour next year: Moronk, Fox, Victor Perez, Thorbjorn Olsson, Alexander Bjork, Valamaki. Bob McIntyre, Matthew Pavan, Campillo, and Histatune. Just missing out were Rasmus, Thriston Lawrence, and Yannick Paul with the the three just out of there. Um, Brad, any of those 10 you're super keen on on the PGA Tour that can step in um, and, and compete right away? I know a lot of talent of these guys, but different mm. game in the States. I'm super impressed with what Rio Hasatsun has done since coming from Japan. Um, obviously, he, got his, uh, he went through the Q school, got his card. And what he's achieved like in his rookie year this year is just phenomenal to get his card. Not only is he a massive inspiration for some of the Japanese players like Caitlin Nakajima, who's coming over, who's got his card this year, to see what he's done um, to win at the Golf National on his first start is a tough place to uh, break through. And he's just been incredibly solid um, and he's fully deserved it. And yeah, I think I'm most excited about him just because of his, he's still a young boy. I say young boy, young man. Um, And I just think the way in which he sort of adjusted to the DP World Tour, playing different grass, different courses, why can't he do that on the PGA Tour? Um, And so, yeah, I I would say that I'm most excited about um, Haisatsune. I think he's got a really high ceiling. 
hundred percent. I mean, twenty one years old. He is kind of a boy, just legal drinking age here yeah, in the states. Exactly in the states. Um, <laughs> and his, I mean, it's a good segue too, right? Q school, um, you know, graduate last year. I think we, Tom, you have the numbers. Was it five winners from Q school? Four on the challenge yeah, tour, I believe, five, right? Five of, yeah, five winners of the 25 that qualified um, from Q school and then four from the challenge tour, which is, I haven't looked back at how it compares to previous years, right? That, that, was, that was probably a step too far for me this week um, on a, you know, quieter week. But, I have to believe that's a pretty decent effort. You know, nine wins to be taken up by people that didn't have uh, DB World Tour cards uh, the season before. I feel like that's probably one of the better years for graduates. I think it's going to be hard to live up to that. And I think the other kind of, you know, unfolding we've got from this, Sky, and then we'll come to you as well, Brad, on this, like how many of those guys that got the cards last year for the PGA Tour are expected to, you know, keep hold of the PGA Tour? Because... Mm -hmm. You know, we, we've got Moronk and Ryan Fox. We've seen in majors recently. We we know that Ollison's played at this level in the past, so it's a bit of prayers. And then you kind of got the unknowns of Valamaki, Pavon, Campillo, Hitsasuna, who we kind of touched upon. Um, and then you've got that bracket of, of you know, McIntyre, who has played a lot of majors, not a lot of, you know, PJ Tour golf. So it's, it's a really interesting thing. I, my guess would be that five of the ten keep their cards. Um and that's not, you know, particularly that's Brad, I guess for me, is just a kind of law of averages as opposed to picking out yeah. why you're going to keep them. No, I agree. I, it's really tough to know, really, until they're in that um, in there competing with everyone. Uh, but, yeah, I would I would predict that I'd, looking at them, uh, I'd probably say I'm going to say six of them, seven might keep their cards. I'm worried a little bit about Campillo, Pavon possibly Bjork um, but yeah I, I really like I think Valamaki for, for whatever reason I think he's gonna do really well I think he's got the personality again he's young he's improving um, I, I think he will take to some of the courses better than most um, and yeah I, I just got a feeling Valamaki might keep his card next year it's, it's been an interesting storyline with Bob too maybe because the Scottish news um, always is is deep into kind of his life and seems pretty not unwilling, but unaccepting that he has to live in the States to yeah. compete on the PGA Tour. I think, I mean, he's grown, I think, on his personal life a lot. It's important to have the the mental happiness for him. And living in the States, I think, brings a whole angle into it. Probably not just for him, for a lot of these guys for the first time, mm -hmm. getting their tour card. So a whole new life. I mean, um, uh, Colsarts, right, is, is famously said how, how frustrating that was for him. He just did not enjoy the PGA Tour um, life so it's going to be interesting to see how adapting a lot of these guys are um yeah. and then i didn't even think of i know there's the new category um on the dp world Tour. i don't know the start minimum uh, i feel like 126 to 200 or 150 to 200 right those guys like are going to be able to come back in some fashion right they're not just dead yeah. out of the water if they if they don't keep their cards yeah. so i'm i'm wondering like I'm guessing the answer is yes, they're all just going to go ahead and do it. They don't have to take this tour card opportunity, right? Like they've qualified and they've got one, but there's no, there's nothing to say that Alexander Bjork's going to go and commit to a full PJ Tour schedule. Now, he would be, you know, pretty naive not to. Um, when you look at kind of the, the way I look at someone like Alexander Bjork and Campillo, you look at Christian Bezuin and Houghton Aaron Rye as two people you wouldn't necessarily think would adapt to the PJ Tour very easily. Mm -hmm. Both of them have kind of forged decent careers over. In the last couple of seasons, I think that 
they have to look at those case studies and go, right, okay, they can do it and they can come back on limited time. Like Brazil now comes back for South Africa and, you know, things like that. Aaron Rye comes over for the Rolex series events. They've, what they've got to get used to is like Alexander Bjork can't rely on those 15 events where he finishes 10th, 12th, 15th, 18th, as he's done in the past. He needs to come back to the Rolex series events and finish sixth, fifth, third or whatever to really take advantage of um, form, which the, the idea is, I guess, that, naturally because he's finishing 18th 20th 33rd on pj tour he can come back and finish high on a dp world tour that's the idea of it i think with what fox has done in the past um it's going to be really interesting i think that you know on the face of it campio and bjork are, you know by what we know should struggle based on on their kind of games and longest hitters um and you know campio hasn't i think mean, has really got an outstanding asset he's, he's good across the board right um Whereas you look at someone like uh, Moronk and people like that and you think, well, their driving is going to help them succeed. So um, it's going to be really interesting. What I think the next thing we've got to consider, Sky, and I'll move this on quickly, is like those 10 going away, if they go away full time, that opens up a massive opportunity. Now, one of the questions we're going to ask ourselves on this show is kind of like, who's who's the one we definitively think is going to get that PJ score card next? Mm-hmm you get rid of those 10 guys and all of a sudden you're not competing with a lot of known quantities right so the, the people like the jordan smith the rasmus hoygaards the dan bradbury's the people that were really successful last year mm-hmm. are already elevated to the top brad right like there's not there's not you know that they're, they're already top of the tree without even thinking about it because they haven't well, got that competition. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, no i completely agree and that's why i think obviously there's been a lot of a few grumblings about this um obviously promotion to the pga tour from the dp world tour like that how it weakens the tour but i think as you said that word opportunity it creates other opportunities for others and that is the massive thing i think it's only going to make us stronger as a continent as well european team and it's going to get stronger for Ryder cup you know playing in um in america it's going to be massive for these players development i just think it's a good thing in general um and it's going to make it a lot more to compete for throughout the year um and yeah I, I'm, I'm a big um advocate for it i really like it the, the system and yeah i just think it's gonna be it just it creates a whole new dynamic to the race of the dubai for the, for the individual right like it's a, it's a brilliant opportunity and it's, it's a great reason to get your deep world tour membership i think that's probably why you've seen some of these americans come over again to Q score and things like that because I can see a, a really easy path, well, not an easy pathway, but a, a straightforward pathway in the sense that if you can keep your card and challenge those kind of top, it's really the top 10, 15 players. It's probably more like the top 18, 20 players because, you know, you normally get 10 that have already got cards right. Um, but they can see the straightforward pathway. So someone like James Nicholas, who was a really random DP World Tour Q school, you know, graduate, mm-hmm he can see a path to the, for the PJ Tour now. If he takes it up, if he gets corn for his says, I don't know. But it, it does add a really unique element to it. And I actually really enjoyed it. And as much as I would say, yes, you look, you've lost 10 really strong depth pieces in Fox, Moronk and Wallace and things like that, Sky. Like, I think, obviously, like Brad's point there, I think the overwhelming point is it's going to make the quality of golf probably better on the DP Tour as people strive to get to that PJ Tour. Yeah, for sure. I, I think it's can be played from both angles. I think the interesting to look at is if you would just take the next 10 guys, just say that finished this year, you get down to the 10th person that would have gotten their card if you eliminate those guys as Xander Lombard at 32nd. So when you look at a list like that, it, no disrespect to Lombard, it's probably ripe for the taking for opportunity for yep. these challenge tour guys, for Q school guys, 
Um, you know, there is so much momentum. Even somebody who is playing in, in Australia or South Africa via Sunshine Tour or Australasia has an opportunity to, to to gain a few starts, and then you could really see your career change very quickly. And, and that's the stories that I love about golf. And I think all three of us really appreciate yeah. and, and why this show is you know so close to our heart, because these are the type of guys we like to root for and see make it to the big stage. So, yeah. And I think it's like before it was always like you had to get into the top 50 to really do anything. Like you had to get in top 50 for majors, you had to get in top 50 to get PJ Tour invites, to get yourself a card on special temporary membership. Like it was very hard to go from DP World Tour regular to PJ Tour regular. Um, unless you're of the elite 20 guys a season, right? Um, whereas now that there, there is just a pathway for a Thriston Lawrence to go and get on the PGA Tour. And whether that's, you know, whether it's sustainable, whether they just go and play one season, come back and it kind of becomes damaging, we, we'll find out. But we don't know. And that's the, the kind of interesting part of it. One shout out I will do. <laughs> Poor Yannick Paul missed out on um, the, the Ryder Cup spot right in the last minute. And then he dropped five places on the rankings. Yeah, I feel great. I think, Brad, one way you've got to look at it is, was he good enough to, to you know, hold on to those two rankings? Is, you know, the well, idea. No, yeah, well, that's it, yeah. Um, it's, exactly, yeah. It's sad yeah. as well. Like, he was right there. And I think that he's someone that has definitely has designs on getting back to, to America. Mm-hmm. Oh, 100%. And he, he will be up there, no doubt, next season. And again, he's he's got so much more experience behind him. And the fact that he's been in the picture for both of them, like, you know, for getting his PGA Tour card and to be in the question to make the Ryder Cup team is a testament to how well he played over the season. So, yeah, there's lots of positives to take from it. But, yeah, it must be frustrating nonetheless. Absolutely. I, I did see in the mini off season so far, Jeremy Paul has gotten married and Yannick got engaged. Like a I, I saw that as well, so, Sky. Yeah. Are they, like, are they just naturally competing? Like, oh, if you get married, I might as well get engaged. Like, <laughs> one step behind you. Um yeah, cool. interesting. All right, let's roll into um, Challenge Tour grads. Cool. So 20 cards were given to the Challenge Tour, which for those who aren't familiar, it is the feeder into the European Tour. So the Corn Ferry Tour equivalent on the PGA. They have that full season that they're playing just like the European Tour is all across the globe. And the top 20 guys are going to be having full cards on the DP, pretty much full cards. I wouldn't say you're into every single event, um, but the way, especially early on, there's early opportunities to get in and play yourself um, through some reshuffles. So um, winner of the, I guess, what is it? The Road to Mallorca. It was yeah. Marco Peña. Um, did I pronounce that right? Is that is that right? He's English, isn't I, he? I, but, I, think, I, I say Peng. Yeah. I don't know yeah. if it's Peng or Peng. So we'll yeah. just go with your Between the three of us, we haven't got much of a prayer, I don't think. We'll, we'll, we'll interview him one day and we'll find out what it actually is. But yeah, let's go with Marco Peng for now and keep it at that. Um, okay, so he was first, um, and then Casey Jarvis, who we've talked a little bit on this show and, and put up a few times. Second, Manuel Elvira, Nacho's brother, correct, mm-hmm. was third. Um, and then rounding out the top five, Ugo Kusad, who we've seen a few times on tour, Jesper Svensson. Um, we're each going to hit on a few of the guys that we are most keen on um, that are graduating instead of going one by one through the 20. Um, Brad, I'll have you kick it off. Um, just go through one of your guys. We just go around the horn with one and then we'll come back. and do yeah. OK, so I'm going to start off with uh, Sam Bairstow. And I've talked about him a lot on the pod in the past with you, Tom. Yeah. Um, he's, a, he's a player I rate 
highly. Um, he was one of the players I said last season to keep an eye out for on the Challenge Tour, and he finished the season strong, got his card, um, and yeah, he got the job done. So it's good. He got his breakthrough win um, towards the end of the season in Scotland, which is no surprise. He did. Ha- he's he's a brilliant wind player. Um, he had plenty of good results in Scotland as an amateur. Um, I still managed to miss the win, which I was pretty gutted about. Um, he missed the cut the week before and uh, put me off. Um, but yeah, he, as I said, uh, in the final, he showed great maturity, like beyond his years uh, to get his card, uh, finished fourth. And I expect him to uh, settle into life on the DP World Tour quite quickly. Um, the year on the Challenge Tour would have done him a lot of good. Uh, he's well-travelled as an amateur. and uh, yeah, he made the cut, the Open as well, even in his tender years, 2002. So he's got a great pedigree behind him. Um, and I think he's going to go well this year. He, he only spent one year on the Challenge Tour. Um, and I really fancy him to just settle in really quickly. And I've got an eye on him for the likes of Qatar, maybe the Dunhill Links and uh, Galgorm Castle. So they're my three where I'm sort of got in my head where I might target him. He um he was a, a late, I guess, late turning professional, right? I believe he's like 25 years old, but last year was his first full year professional. Um, yes. and, and to your point, right, really strong wins um, as an amateur, um, did make that cut. He was a two-time Open Championship, at least played in it twice, two years in a row um, as an AM. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, like the likes, and that's good intel on kind of where you're targeting him this season, too. I haven't really thought through that with some of my selections, um, so enjoy that that feedback. Um, Tom, up to you. Yeah, I'm going to go really boring to start with. I'm going to go with Casey Jarvis. Look, like uh, the, the way I've kind of, I knew you guys would, would take care of, of the, the, the sort of lesser names, let's say, in the nicest possible way um, and, and look after me there. And I've kind of gone with the two guys who I think will just take to the tour the easiest. And the first one um, is Casey Jarvis. And look, he's going to be someone that we're going to look out for in the South African events, uh, big hitter, young still only 20 years of age but the thing that really strikes me with Casey Jarvis um 20 years of age but he's already had like six second place finishes uh, on top of his win on the challenge tour and on top of his win on the uh, the big easy tour right so yes you could argue you know how many times has he you know not got over the line that's that's one play to look at it but I just think that by 20 years of age if you put yourself in this position that many times that's got to be beneficial right and he actually really struggled after that first win on the Challenge Tour. He, you know, hit a speed bump in his form. I don't know if that was kind of like, well, his job done and, you know, you know, kind of relax a little bit, maybe. Um, he had literally had like three or four second place finishes across the two tours before that win anyway that year. Um, just incredible consistency throughout. Now, the one concern so far is that we don't know quite how well he's going to adapt to the DP World Tour. Um, he has played it and he has done, had some decent finishes, uh, you know, especially in, in Kenya and South Africa, which is close to home, right? But I, I think for me, he's the, the one with the biggest potential on this list. Like he's the one I think can naturally, you know, no one's going to be a Ludwig Aberg as, as we've kind of got used to over the last kind of couple of months, but He's 20 years old. He's four years behind Luffy Gaber, for example. And we're talking about someone that's already got six seconds and a win. So, um, yes, all lower grade. But I think Casey Jarvis, we've mentioned him a few times, Sky, on this show. Um, taking him at kind of short odds already. Um, I think he's going to have a, a solid year. 
I, I like Jarvis a lot. I think what, what fears me about him is his inconsistency, but I think we're just going to get used to the fact, similar to like a, a Nick Bacham to me in the ways that he's just going to show up. And when he's around a leaderboard, you trust him, you know, and you're going to probably get some good odds when he's out of form. And if there's spots where you think you're going to like him, I, I'm what I just love about a transfer from the challenge to the DP world tour is we're going to get some stats and strokes gained on these guys. Finally, yeah. like, I think yeah. we have an idea of the, the games they play. And I know Brad, you get some eyes on some of these other tours more than others no, where I agree, mate. it's so frustrating when you don't have the stats. And so you start to profile the players when they move to the to DP world tour, you, can just, you start to see well, this is where they're going to show up and, where where's a good place to target them and whatnot. So yeah, I completely agree there. Yep. I, love, I love what you said about Jarvis there with, with Nick Backham. Is I was literally going to say, like Nick Backham, I think he's got this kind of high upside of big driving can contend at you know various different golf courses. Even when you think he might you know struggle with maybe claustrophobic events, um, and he will just be that guy that can get it done. And we looked at the tail end of last season. Nick Backham found some consistency after that win. Um, you know, he he really did step up and, and it wasn't every round. It wasn't four rounds every single time, but it was consistently making the cut and putting himself into position. I think by the time we get to the end of next season, we'll be talking about Casey Jarvis as, as a pretty solid performer. And it wouldn't surprise me if he was in the kind of top 30, 40 on the, on the race to divide end of the year. Yeah. He went from he was 250 to one, you know, last year in this event, and he's down in the 50s, um, you know, this year. That is with him not having, you know, very many DP World Tour starts. So, I will go next. Um, <clears throat> we put this guy up once last year on the show, I think, in his spot start that he had on the DP World Tour um, in Kenya, and that was Tom Valiant, um, the Frenchman. I don't know how how would you say Valiant in French? That's that's kind of pretty that's okay. I can believe that. <laughs> okay. So, so Tom comes off 22 years old or 21 years old. He's just about to turn 22. He was a two-time winner on the Alps tour in 22 as an amateur rounded out 22, winning the European men's club trophy, and then turned it into, I would say a decent season on the challenge tour. No wins, um, three top three finishes, another top 10, <laughs> That second place at the last event of the year, the Challenge Tour Grand Final, was what secured his um, card for the year. So you see somebody, to me, with a profile like that, stud amateur, wins on tours mm-hmm. as an AM um, on an OWGR tour, and then just has some upside as he settles in. Um, I think the the sky's the limit for somebody who's not even turned 22 yet when he starts to get these um, consistent spots on the DP World mm-hmm. Tour. Kenya, he made the cut with a breeze, um, no problem. So I think just settling in, especially the way he closed the year, 22nd, 8th, and 2nd, that Challenge Tour was a very, very difficult uh, event, that final was so i mean um i think there was like maybe four or five guys that were still under par even um in a a 60 person field so uh i just really like what we've seen just from that type of profile and those are the guys i gravitate to always Mm -hmm. no i'm gonna i'm gonna add to that because he's my he's my second uh he's my second pick as well for the uh, challenge tour grads and i literally echo everything you said Uh, i think when he won that twice while he's still an amateur on the alps tour Said it all really. I think he could have probably turned pro a little bit sooner, a bit like a, a best though, just a testament of how good he was at a young age. Um, but I'm really impressed with him in that final. Um, he was just like, he knew what was the job in hand. Um, he fist pumped every part, every chip. It was great to watch. He's composed, mature, had every shot. 
and yeah, he packs a punch for a little guy off the tee. Um, and yeah, I really, really like the look of him. I think, as you said, massive ceiling. Um, he went really well um, on home turf at the, the Golf National. I think it's 12th going into the final round. Um, shot 77, finished 45, 45th, sorry. So yeah, I think that's a spot. Also, probably Kenya, as you already said, where you already targeted him for close of a 64 there. So, yeah, a couple of areas, uh, places, sorry, to target him. But, yeah, I really like him like yourself. And I think I think the one thing that, you know, Ben spoke about this in, in his kind of player by player preview is the, the win in the, in the French Championship where he beat so many DP World Tour regulars. Like, he beat David Rivetto as the one that got through um, on the Q score mm-hmm. this year. But, um Matthew Pavon, Julian Bruin, who goes to side. We talked about Romain Legas, Romain Mattel, Antoine Rosner, John Monco has been playing well on the TP World Tour. Michael Lorenzo Vera has been a staple for years. Skio Seagrest. There were so many players there. Have Fraser is a veteran. Like he beat every good French golfer he beat that week. And look, it was a it was a different event in amongst a, a regular season where you, you question maybe some motivations outside, you know, for some of the Bruins and the Lane Gask and people like that, Rosners, who are, you know, got another schedule to go to, but it still shows that he was capable of getting the job done on the final day. Mm-hmm. 100%. Absolutely. Tom, who's your second? Yeah, so for me, again, just very boring, but I'm going to go Jesper Svensson or Jesper Svensson. I'm not sure which way it is. Um, talking to your point about just understanding what type of golfers these are and, and stats wise, is something I, I, I was going to sort of play him this week and we'll come to that a little bit later on, but like, I'm going to hold fire just because I want to learn a little bit more about him. But on the face of it, he's just been unbelievably good so far in his professional career. Turned professional in 2019. He's only 27. So what was that? 23, 24 that he turned professional, which is, you know, not late by any means. But, you know, they're getting out younger and younger, right? He actually went to college in North Carolina. He broke Dustin Johnson's 10-year-old scoring record at the Big South Championship, which is, you know, impressive, I think, in itself. He's played with... Ludwig Aberg on, on the, the national teams. But most importantly, you look at the fact that he was on the Nordic Golf League in 2020. He won on there, went straight to the Challenge Tour, played well uh, and contended, but then finally won in 2023, beating Brandon Stone, uh, making birdies in the last couple of holes. And then you look at that, he also lost two playoffs. So he actually could have got this kind of battlefield promotion. He didn't need it, obviously, with the way that he played. But I just think just how consistently he probably... We talk about Casey Jarvis, I think, being one of the more pro re- or, you know, DP World's already players and talents. I think he was the one that was the most consistent. I know there is a lot of miscuts on his kind of um, name uh, at the start, but like after that, it was kind of ridiculous. It was, it was you know, automatic for him. He only missed a cut once, I think, after winning, um, maybe played 10 or 11 times after that, had a two seconds going into his final five events. He was just brilliant. And actually, all three of his seconds come after that first win. So it was really, really impressive. And I think that was actually his first Challenge Tour start of the year when he won as well. He'd, he'd been playing on the Nordic Golf League, Brad, hadn't he? Um, yeah, yeah, that was right. Yeah. Yeah, and he won, then went fifth the year after, second and ninth after that. And then he just he just kept posting these you know, second place finishes. And I think that I just love consistency at this level already. Um mm. I think we've seen it in the past where we, we see people that have you know racked up two or three wins and you think, okay, this is, you know, they're just ready for the next level and it doesn't quite work out that way. But I think Jesper Svensson um, is playing well. And we've seen what Nordic golfers have done so far um, when stepping up. So pretty confident he's going to have a good year. 
Yeah, I, I really like that shout. And like he he was always gonna like he was getting limited starts and he was showing flashes. So I think he's really benefited this year for like a bit of a, a fuller schedule. Like once he got that win off his first start, like he was just that was him for the rest of the year. And yeah. it's, I think he's just benefited from like knowing like this is it now and yeah. you know, consistency, you know. Yeah. And and obviously he's just gone on and just got better. And he, as you said, he could have won like another two times. So yeah, I really like I really like that shout. Uh, I think he's a, a really good player and one to look out for. One thing I found interesting, um, so Data Golf has, you know, their their public top 500 that you can look and kind of see rankings, and and not every one of the Challenge Tour grads is in their top 500. Um, we're, I think it's too obvious to say who the the number one is. We look at a pure talent and why none of us talked about him, but I think the clear number one individual graduating is is Alex Fitzpatrick. I think we've seen mm-hmm. him as basically a DP World Tour player, you know, but he did get his card through. Um, challenge tour there, but um, he's a clear well, he, one. He actually got it, didn't he? Didn't he get it already during his play to the DP World Tour season? So that yeah. is why there was 21 players. There was 21 players. They oh, took him out. Okay. So, so Stuart Manley. Oh, Manley, Manley did yeah. get his card, didn't he? Um, Manley has a lot to thank him for. <laughs> he's probably okay. a few cases of wine, but like that was the thing with Fitzpatrick. Like, look, he's the most, and it's good that you bring him up, Sky, because he is the most obvious pick. Um, and and to be honest, you should we should be classing him as a challenge tour graduate just because he didn't you know fall on the list of 21 players. He is graduating from the challenge tour. It's just that he did it pretty early on. Um, he actually I think he ranked 11th in the in the standings and they just took him out basically because of what he'd done. Um, so yeah, I think I think for me that there I think we've kind of ticked off the ones that are the most obvious. And then the one thing, guy I would say that we we should mention. It was a hell of a year for Italian golfers in terms of graduating back to the DP World Tour. We had uh, Lorenzo Scalise, Andre Pavan, Matteo Manassero, and Francesco Laporta on the Challenge Tour. And then we had Filippo Celli, uh, who we've spoken about a lot, and Renato Paratori, I'm sure we'll come on to at some point, um, from the Q School as well. So it's been a really good year for Italian golfers getting back to the top level. And, you know, one of those is going to impress. Um, I'm hoping it's Matteo Manassero. Yeah, I was going to say, Matthew Manassera is probably the one which is like the fairy tale story, isn't it? When he's, if he comes back and gets himself a win and gets even, you know, just any type of close to the level that he was once was would just be amazing to see. So, yeah. I was, I was there for his first win, not his first win, his last win, sorry, at the, D, at the um, BMW PGA Championship. Which was his kind of biggest crowning moment, right? And it was the the fourth win in four years of being on a DP World Tour. And then you were thinking he's going to be in the Ryder Cup, he's going to play majors, or he did play majors, but he's going to, you know, contend in majors. And it just didn't happen for him. So when I look at those kind of graduates, he's the one that you think, okay, well, we've got this kind of real stock of what was he like at his best? Well, he was arguably the the best young player on the tour, right? Like I think he came out at the similar sort of time as Rory, so was never going to kind of get that credit, but like he was the, the one of the you know the brightest young stars and he's still what 30 31 i think he's exactly the same age as, as us so like it's 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 ridiculous to think that he's probably got another 15 years of golf ahead of him if he can just get away from those demons that he had um didn't do it in the most consistent fashion sky like it wasn't he wasn't placing every week he had those two wins and that kind of propped up his year but i think that kind of shows his ceiling oh yeah it's good good to have him back 
Sorry for the audio change. If it's any different, um, new dad life um, happens so you don't get any background noise here. But um, so I think he definitely is one that stands out. Um, if I kept going down those those data golf rankings, um, Frederick LaCroix, um, somebody who I, I fancy this week, um, is the one that stands out to me also on here. Tons of talent. We've seen him on the DP World Tour, liked him quite a bit. I thought Will Enifer had a little bit um, to him in regards to, um, I think, a little bit longer of a coming out party after he was a real stud um, teenager um, mm-hmm. growing up in Europe um, and finally getting himself through on the Challenge Tour uh, after he just missed a Q school, I think, the year before. Um, so overall, en- Enifer stuck out to me a little bit more. Um, similar to Montessaro, it's good to see Pavan fight off those demons on the year that was um too so a, a lot to like it's a i don't know the the class from here feels like it, it really will have a huge impact i think almost immediately uh this year yeah i think i think the challenge tour class is really strong i think that the 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 q school isn't quite there's it's not full of the names that we kind of had last year coming through i think we had like marcel scene coming through and things like that like there was more recognizable names last year but it doesn't mean that they're not going to succeed like that's going to be the next part of the puzzle, right? But, like, the one name, again, that was probably worth mentioning on this list, you know, we've mentioned Manasseri there, but Brandon Stone, similar age, already a three-time DP World Tour winner, uh, lost in the playoff as well. Uh, so could conceivably have had four um, DP World Tour wins already in his career and just had a re- just completely lost his game. And it, it's he's got himself back now, and what does he do? I mean, the good thing with these South Africans is you look at them and think, okay, well, they've got four or five events a year where they feel like they can they can win, and they, they tend to play really well at home, um, and that can kind of prop up most of their season and give them a chance to play freely. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a little bummed, Brad. Um, your boy, I guess, has become all of our favorites. Uh, Braden Robinson Thompson uh, did not get yeah. through. Man, that would have been huge for him to get a card. I would have uh, yeah. loved that. Yeah, that would have been massive. I mean, he's had a, a, a big journey this year, obviously, winning three times on the clutch clutch tour and then got his start in the Open through qualifying. Got a start through his, what his success on the clutch tour onto the Challenge Tour, won in Northern Ireland. And yeah, since then, he's put in some great performances and he come up just short. I mean, he played 12 events and he come up one place short. I mean, just think says everything you need to know about him he will definitely be one to keep an eye out for next season I was, I was a little bit surprised he didn't show up at Q school um DP World Tour Q school very surprised I'm not sure what his plans are for next year I assume challenge tour but I don't know why he didn't show up um to have a go to get his DP World Tour card uh, I didn't even think about that because all those guys kind of shot pretty much, right? It, it, yeah. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, he didn't show up, and I have no reason. I have no reason why. Like, I have. I don't know why. <laughs> so I really, uh, he, God knows what his plans are for next year. But yeah, that was a bit of a uh, something that spooked me. I just don't understand why. Yeah, because I was rooting on Gumberg after he made that similar type of run on the Challenge Tour, and then Q School did not go good for him. But um, hmm, okay. Anything else on the the challenge, guys? Until we got, it over to Houston. Well, I was going to say um, Maxi Rotloff's an interesting one because he he played obviously a lot of golf out in America, Canadian Tour, Corn Ferry Tour. Sort of came over, played the Challenge Tour this year, won twice. Again, a bit like Matteo Manassero, he had a bit of a an inconsistent season, but I think winning twice it shows exactly the upside and 
I think he could be a dark horse uh, for next year. For sure, he looked really good in the final. And, and I haven't really seen him play before, but he impressed me in stages in the final. And, uh, yeah, I like his game and attitude. So, yeah, he's he's one that I'm keeping an eye on. Yeah, 30 years old, uh, making, mm-hmm. I guess this is his first. And he had full DP World Tour store status before. Or it's always uh, been in the States, pretty much, right? When yeah, he's always been in the States. He's had the odd, I think he comes over for the, because Germany comes over for the odd event. Yeah. Um, uh, but, yeah, I, I, he's never had status before on the DP World Tour. So, yeah, pretty excited to see what he's, he can do. For sure. Perfect. All right. So we covered just about everybody there. We'll pop over to Q School. So again, for those who aren't uh, familiar for European Tour, DP World Tour, Q School, um, there is first stage, second stage, and then final stage. Those that have completely or zero status nowhere um, are, are more than you know able to enter into first stage, four rounds. You get to second stage where you get um, abundance of lower tier status players join you. And then after you're able to get through second stage, there's the six-round grueling final stage, which includes those guys just missing the challenge tour, just missed off in the DP World Tour, and then all of those who got through the qualifying stages. It was won by no other Freddie Scott, who we bet what felt like a million times this year at deep odds. So he finally came through um, for with a, a win in that type of event at 27 under. Tom, you mentioned earlier Filippo Celli, um, who, you know, now in the pro ranks, um, had a really good Q school too. He finished second there. Um, and just like we did um, before, we'll go around the horn, each picking two. Now there was this year a lot more, or maybe it feels like to me this year, a lot more return guys who either have had status or just renewed it, um, you know, if you look through a, a Tom Lewis, a Sebastian Garcia, Rodriguez, Christian Krogh, Johansson, Renato Peratour, uh, Afi Barnrat, Rivetto, um, you know, those guys, Broberg, those type mm-hmm. of guys all were able to retain. Pedro Figurito birdied, I believe, his last hole to get in oh, um, on there. So it's good. You know, always root for Pedro. So um, <laughs> a lot of guys, if you go through the Q school, are returning. So maybe half of those are new, fresh faces which is a lot of who we picked this week. So, Brad, you started last time. I'll go Tom first in Q School. Yeah, so for me, uh, look, there was, I said here earlier that there wasn't as many recognisable names, and there actually is, like most of the 22 or 33 players, all tied 22, sorry, um, are quite recognisable. But I think this year has been kind of ones where they've been in the wilderness a little bit. And I've actually gone with what I think is a potential not superstar by any means, but I, th- I always have this kind of soft spot for the reason people have missed golf or not been living up to the essentials because of injuries. And Niccolo Galetti is the most unfortunate golfer in the entire world um, in terms of um, injuries. He's he's absolutely ridiculous. Um, I think he had four different injuries. One of them included uh, rolling over in a sumo suit and, and damaging his ankle at John Rahm's wedding. Um, he, I think, tore his wrist that week um he tore his oblique at some point as well he's just had it all like he's had three or four really bad injuries that have halted his career and it was all around the kind of time where he was playing for cards and and kind of getting out onto the tour so that was a lot to deal with at that time and then of course covid happened and and he then couldn't go and play golf until the outlaws hole came along sky and we know you're obviously a big follower of that so was brad 
Um, I didn't follow it as much, so I don't necessarily remember Nicolo Galetti from there, but he had this kind of unbelievable run of, you know, winning second, third, fourteenth, 15th. He was just very consistent at that level. And I think when you look at that, plus the fact he's come over and done the, the pressures of, of getting through Q school, I just think as someone that, you know, was John Rahm's teammate, that doesn't necessarily mean he's, he's great, right? Like Svensson was Aberg's teammate. They're not just going to suddenly be great golfers, but just coming from that kind of stock and coming from all the difficulties of injuries and rehabbing and all that sort of things, then come over to a six round Q score and get through it. Um, I, I was really impressed with what Nicolo Galetti done there. So for me, I think he's the one where I don't know anything about him other than the injury history and the kind of outlaw sort of stuff that he's had. And that kind of excites me in itself. I don't, I don't mean this lightly, but, I think Nico Galetti may have saved golf at one point, you know, like that was yeah. all we had. And he was the greatest golfer. We were talking about him constantly. Unbelievable. Like that name will forever reign in my head, you know, and Brad and I were, I mean, this, this past week, that's the one name in Q school that I think both of us were like absolutely rooting yeah. for. Like we, we needed Galetti to get through. He, he so, was the greatest male golfer of the COVID era by Shane Ryan, which he lived up to right and I, look i think these are two three round events at the time in a in covid situation where it's all a bit weird and it's hard to hang your hat on that but i'm pretty sure that the pools and that were playing in kind of um outlaw tour events before they came over to do short tour and, and play a while so look i don't think it's any by any means a layup that he's going to be good um he's got a lot of work ahead of him but just from a pure like i don't know enough about him other than what i've read I think I'm quite excited to see if he can kind of get his status and play well. I think about players like you know, the famous ones always go back to Kepka and Uline, right, for, for Americans coming over. But you've had like Paul Peterson in the past. You've had um, Gunnar Weeby come over. Like You've had all these guys come over or Lipsky have come over and played a DP World Tour. Like, it happens, right? And I just, I just think that they do it and they take advantage. And, and especially now, though, it's just that such a clear defined path, like finishing the top, 15 16 golfers and you will get a pga tour card um it's pretty good i mean look i don't know if he's necessarily even got the talent to do it but i, I do think that he's got definitely the mental strength to do it based on what that's come through already mm-hmm. i like that uh, we were saying earlier though that he's not teeing it up this week in south africa or australia so he's probably going to go and give it a go to get his pga tour card free yeah. uh, um yeah for the q score over I think there james nicholas doing the same i imagine so because both it's, of them are not doing up i look for both of their odds the obvious concern is that like they have the dp world tour card i guess look it gives them a chance to free roll right like if they can go to the dp world tour and secure a card they're going to so yeah it's the same for the dp world tour players that have just yeah. got promoted to the pj tour it works both ways they've both they've got a They've got a life where they have where they're settled already. So it's, it's I suppose it's a big decision whether it's gonna go and uh, you know move elsewhere or whatever. And they probably will. Of course, they, no, they won't be in to doing what they do if they do. But what I'm trying to get at is that they might not compete in every you know event. They might stay at home for a fit. yeah. So yeah. it's it's yeah. difficult. It's, both yeah. of them, Galetti's in California for second stage next week. Nicholas is in Georgia for it. There you so go. Yeah. Both now still second stage, right? They got to get through second stage yeah. and then go to final That's, stage. Now both of them yeah. have been successful. It's pretty impressive to get through four stages so far. Three in Europe, one on the state side. 
um, to be able to do that. Um, so we'll be tracking both of those because if they do break through on Corn Ferry or PGA Tour, I, I think both of them, you know, James Nicholas has, has a ton of talent. He's been a Monday qualifier, ran mm-hmm. up some leaderboards. Galetti, we've talked about, we, we think very highly of him. I, I like both of those two talents. Um, and then Nicholas, too, is like, uh, he's like an Instagram TikTok star, too. Yeah. If you yeah. ever see him on the there. Thing with Nicholas, it's like I, you know, I've kind of exchanged messages with him trying to give him the podcast in the past. Like, he is a guy that has a platform that he knows he can fall back on. And sometimes that's detriment. Like he, he is a really good social media uh, mm. performer and he was, I think, like lacrosse or something, like another sport that he was really good at um, that, that was actually his path before golf, um, maybe even like hockey or something. Like he, he was really good at another sport. I'm not entirely sure what it was, but like he basically had the choice of two, dedicating himself to golf and, and really kicked on from there. And like at least with Galetti, like I know that he's very much like this is what he wants to do. Like you look at he's played ten events on in Canada, he's played forty four, I think, um, in Latino America. Like he's he's played a lot of golf and this is his thing. He's from Berkeley, so it makes sense that he's playing in the California Q school. Um, as I said, he's already gone as I already said he's gone to Arizona State with John Rahm. So not to you know, not to dispute that James Nicholas is obviously fully in on golf, I think he is, but that point that you raise about could he potentially miss a lot of events over here i think when you've got that kind of lifestyle over on the pga tour and in america um you might try and chase some monday qualifiers rather than coming over and gutting it out in i don't know the the belgian event you know sadao or whatever so um it'd be interesting to see i'd really love for them both just to commit to a full season and just see how they can do um but there's obviously things to think about with that yeah I'll take the the Belgian queue for my first selection here in Q School, which is another Belgian bomber coming out from the University of Illinois, <clears throat> Matthias Bassard. Um, so the leave, yeah, Illinois wrapped up this year. Um, I guess it's Mathis, not Matthias, Mathis. Um, and he had gotten a few starts at the Challenge Tour after uh, school wrapped up. T15 in one of them, nothing to, you know, too uh, promising in it, but I think he had five bogeys through six rounds at Q School, which is quite promising. Um, we know the pipeline of what these golfers have created um, with Dietrich, with Peters, um, just long hitting, really good ball strikers. Um, two-time winner last year um, at Illinois, three wins the year prior. Um, so just following that same track record for him, he got up into the top 100 in Wagger, was his top rankings. Um, I just think if we, we run some parallels. We're going to run it back here with, with the Belgian guys that we've rooted for for, for quite some time. Yeah, I think, as you say, you've got that kind of stock to go on it. That like, again, very clear. I'm always fascinated at looking at um, the college thing. I kind of put a tweet about this before about like the, the pathway and I can't remember exactly who it was it might be Pablo Martin or so, Canizares or someone like that but like a nondescript golfer that was really good at college that's not gone on and done the career they should have done was the reason that John Rahm went to Arizona State and I need to look it back up again and refresh myself but it's amazing how these players get to college and then what they do and I think I read about the the Illinois coach saying about how tough he is and and how you know scrappy he is on the golf course and you know making a lot of up and downs when he needs to and look 15th in the British Challenge last year, 32nd in the Irish Challenge, suggests to me that he could play well when we get to some more, you know, um, not so much linksy, but kind of like British Isles uh, events. So it'd be interesting to see what Mathis Bassard does this year. Mm-hmm. 
All right, Brad, that puts it up to you for your first pick. Right, I'm going to go for Yannick De Bruyne. Um, so he's a big hitting German. I'm expecting to have a similar impact to what Nick Backham did last season. So funnily enough, there were two golfers that I bet on a lot in 2020 when they were both playing on the, the pro golf tour as uh, both highly rated amateurs. And they both won on that circuit. And it, that's proven a pretty good development tour over the years. I mean, it's produced Banamaki, uh, Brun and Hurley Long, just to think of a few. Uh, they've all progressed there. And yeah, Yannick, he he had a, he's, he he won there. He played really well and he progressed onto the Challenge Tour. Um, but last year he, he had a bit of a mixed year. He didn't. He struggled for consistency. He had a, a few okay results. Um, but the most important thing was that he came through Q School. He won second stage, and he got through for the final stage. And um, yeah, he got his card. And I I expect big things from him. As I said, I'm comparing him to Nick Backham. Um, but he's he's already had a bit of a taste of. Uh, DP World Tour action. He's played in four events over the years. His best finish came at Kenya, which on paper, like given I've seen him, um, some of his stats from the, some of the events he's been in, wouldn't put it down as his best um, course on paper, but it doesn't always work like that. He might be clubbing down, whatever else. But he uh, finished tied 15th, um, so that is a pro- possibly a good spot to target him next season. Um, but yeah, I, I really like the look of him. So he's probably my uh, pick of my two, I would say. Yeah, I knew I'll... you'd land there. I, I was waiting for that. I think Tom, you're keen on him too. Yeah, look, I thought you were going to go with this guy, so I thought it was going to be a, a trio of, of picks there. I, I remember you kind of flagging him up on one of the shows earlier last season, maybe even the season before. Um, it was kind of one of your five thousand to one shots that we don't know until they turn <laughs> up on the team whether they're actually playing or not. Um, and <laughs> The best thing about Yannick De Bruyne, I think, is what Brad talks about there is the fact that he had that 15th place finish at the Kenya Open. And look, we know that these Kenya Opens are not the strongest of fields, right? And we know that you, you do get some sort of strange results. But when you look at the the top five of that, or top 10, let's say, of that field, it was Jorge Campillo won from Karamora. Um, Rai Hitsasuna, we talked about lyrically earlier in the season. He was th- earlier in the show, he was third. Robin McIntyre was seventh. Um, you know, it's a really good barometer of, of the type of player that was succeeding there. Um, he had a slow start as well, so he can conceivably could have been in the top 10 if he'd uh, done a little better from round one. Maybe a little bit of rust from travelling uh, between the two tours, maybe a little bit of kind of nerves, whatever it was. And like Brad said, like that wasn't necessarily his perfect course. And you look at someone like a Wilco Nineabo, who was 25th, Adrian Alsop was 30th, uh, the, you know, the Casey Jarvis, as we already mentioned, he was 25th. Like, those are the types of players that you you'd expect him to kind of perform similar to, and they and they finished you know 15 places below him. So mm-hmm. look, it was one event, like that was the one event on the DP World Tour where he's really impressed. But he made two cuts in the two starts he had uh, in Germany, Porsche European Open and the BMW International Open, which is great. Um, not easy to play in front of a home crowd when you're you know not a regular on tour, right? And he just seems very volatile. And again, I think Nick Backham's a good thing. And what you hope is these players do what Nick Backham did, um, you know, get a win early and then kind of take the pressure off and then find some consistency. Because when you look at the end of last season, it was very, you know, hit or miss. You went miscut, miscut, withdraw sixth, miscut, withdraw 15th, 12th. Like he, when he makes a cut, he seems to be in contention, which is, you know, a huge asset. So yeah, 
uh, for everything that um, Brad already said about Yannick De Bruyne and just just add that I think he he's got the ability in the modern game and look it, the deeper world tour is not the one that's most conducive to just being able to bomb it um, but it certainly helps in a lot of courses as well so um, great sign. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's some spots though. There's there's for sure yeah. some spots that that I think of. And the Kenya performance is um, interesting. Definitely keep an eye on. <clears throat> Next up on my end, um, somebody that both Brad and I really do like, not just for the year but this week. Um, Sam Jones. So Sam Jones threw through flew through qualifying school, finishing sixth um, at second stage, fourth at final stage, or maybe vice versa on those. And if you look into Sam Jones, you're really not going to find that much from an OWGR standpoint. He had three events in 2023: miscut, 43rd, 22nd, and he's a 26 year old who just change his amateur status to going pro through here. He has played on what is called the Charles Tour in Australia, mm-hmm. where he was the 2022 Order of Merit winner. Um, and I'd say it's a pretty decent professional tour um, uh, in, in New Zealand, um, is where it is. Fox was the Order of Merit winner in 2020, if that says some things. Some other golfers were keen on. Hayden Barron played on there a little bit. Um, even somebody who has been, uh, I think, um, what's it, Kazuki or Kazumi Kobari? Is that the name? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kazumi Kobari. Josh Geary, right. another one that might be familiar on the DP yeah. World Tour. Josh so Geary, Ko- yeah. Ko- was 22 oh. to 1 last week in the Australia Asia mm-hmm. event, and he was a 54 hole leader by six strokes. Unfortunately, Sunday yeah. didn't go his way, but really touted amateur turning professional and here we are kind of no name sam jones who was a mid-am playing in mid-amateur events which got him into the top 100 in wagger he was fifth at the mid-am championship you know the the mid-am that everyone kind of thinks of is Stuart hagestad um he so he got to quarterfinals after doing really good in stroke play as well so we've seen him pop at some of these bigger um mid-am type of events so a, a decent amateur career, and then you're getting him now playing some of these events where in the sand belt he's familiar with. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot that we're going to like about Sam Jones. It's kind of an interesting guy coming through Q school because look at fourth of the Australian men's amateur, ninth earlier at the Super Sixes that they play. He won two events in the Charles Tour. I don't know. I think there's going to be some sneaky stuff about Sam Jones over the next month and into next year. Yeah, I, I honestly couldn't have said it better myself. Um, yeah, I honestly, really, really interesting because I, I saw an interview after he uh, after he got his card and he was just so in shock. Like he he said that he didn't he, he, when he did the second stage he he didn't think he'd get through that and then when he he just thought I'll give it everything um, and when he actually thought he had a chance like two rounds to go. Apparently, it was really playing on his nerves. So he started thinking about status and what category is going to be in and whatever else. And what he did in his last two rounds, with that all on his shoulders, obviously, it's a massive thing. He's only just turned pro. And now suddenly, he's going to skip a couple of tours and go on the the DP World Tour or skip the Challenge Tour, wherever else he was going to go, Australian Tour. You know, he's just propelled onto the DP World Tour for one good week um and yeah i really like what he's done in his amateur career you referenced the australian event um yeah where kabori won that week kazuma kabori who was talking about 
P1. Um, he finished a few shots behind him fourth. Um, so, yeah, I, I really like him. I think he's going to bring a lot of momentum, a lot of confidence into this week, which is probably why you like him as well. I mean, he could quite easily miss the cut, but I'm right. I'm going to ride the hot hand with him because he's quite he's a bit of an unknown entity. And what he's achieved in a really good field, um, you know, I've never played in Spain before. Uh, it was really impressive. So mm-hmm. yeah, I think I think gotta give him um gotta give him a go this week at massive odds. As yeah. well as I'm also super excited just to see what he's gonna do this year. <laughs> mm-hmm. 65, 68, 66, closing three rounds there, finished sixth, final stage. Just incredible, especially with the talents he's gone against. Yeah, I'm I'm very excited for what's ahead in these next couple events and into the year with him. Um, and that was your second one too, Brad. Was there anybody else that uh, stood no, out? No, I was, was going to say um, pretty, a bit of an obvious one. Where you both have mentioned him already, Felipe Celli. Um Again, but brilliant amateur career. Um, got a few invites in the uh, early on in um, while he's still an amateur onto the DP World Tour, and he made the most of them. I think he, he stood out um, tied set. His standout performance was probably that tied seventh um, at the ISPS Handel, which I think is Galgorm Castle. And yeah, got a lot of people talking about him. Um, he turned pro not long after that, and I think there was just a period of missing cuts. Um, but he played on the Challenge Tour this year, and it it was a bit bit like De Bruyne. It was inconsistent. Like he should have won. The challenge to Cadiz, um, that was quite early on into the season. He threw that away in the final round, and I think that sort of um, upset him a bit. Obviously, it unraveled him, and he struggled to sort of recover after that. But he started to perform better at the end of the season, and he did really well to come through the final stage of Q School. He should have really won it. I think he had a, a comfortable lead for a while, um, but yeah, he finished second. Doesn't matter. He's got his card, same reward. Um, he, he's clearly got bags of ability and I think he would have learned a lot from that period he spent on the DP World Tour whilst he was an amateur last year and he can draw upon that experience this time round. and yeah I, I actually expect him to be competitive this year it wouldn't surprise me at all if he's to break through um, I, I think he's a real big talent and yeah possibly back at Galgorm Castle or the KLM Open in Netherlands he finished 12th so that's the two possible spots to target him yeah, I mean, breaking out, what was his first breakout? Was it the Italian Open that, as an amateur, too? Didn't he get in the mix early on? Um, yeah. <clears throat> I remember there, at least as an amateur, there was an event where he um, was quite we were, strong. No, we were or maybe it was at the Open, it might have been the Open Championship that I'm thinking of. When, yeah, when yeah, was, yeah, there you go. There you go, yeah, yeah 47th, yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, mm-hmm. Okay. No, oh, yeah, love, love Chelly getting full-time status um, and getting going on it. So if you are just here for mine and Brad's picks for the Joburg Open and the Australian PGA Championship, here are our picks for both events with the UK odds. So I have gone for Xander Lombard at 28-1 with six places, Francesco Laporta at 80-1, six places, Marco Peng, 80-1, six places, and Sean Norris at 80-1, but with eight places with Coral. Brad's gone with Henny Duplessis at 22 to 1 with the 8 places, Renato Paratore at 60 to 1 with the 7 places, and Robin Williams at 150 to 1 with the 6 places. And then over on the Australian PGA Championship, I've gone with David Michaluzzi at 25 to 1 with the 7 places, 
Daniel Hillier at 33 to 1 with the seven places. Andrew Dote at 400 to 1 with six places. And then Cameron John at 250 to 1, seven places. And then over in the Australian PGA, Brad has gone for Mark Leishman at 20 to 1, Sean Crocker at 50 to 1, and Sam Jones at 500 to 1. Uh, all of those with seven places. So 400 to 1 and 500 to 1 picks there. Um, there is a little bit of discussion behind all of those picks at the end of this show. Myself, Brad, Sky go into our picks for the show, but it was very rapid fire, short discussion. If you want any more reasoning from us, you can go and check out Brad's Patreon. You can uh, message me or tweet me or whatever it's called now on X, and then we can discuss it further. But it was just one of those episodes where we really enjoyed the discussion we had and got away from kind of the picks format. So listen to that kind of bit at the end that describes all of the picks we've got. Um, but this is a short summary of the picks we've made this week. Um, I think that's two from all of us. I'm going to go through some quick hitters on guys we didn't talk through. Um, let's see what Friedrichsen is coming off of uh, challenge tour. I would say an okay year. Um, nothing mm-hmm. too great. I think he's got some background on the pro golf tour. If I'm right there, Brad. Um, I think, I think Nordic, Nordic golf. Nordic, okay. Yeah. Yeah. But still, like he he's he's had a, as you just said a very in and out year similar to a lot of these players. Like he's flashed, probably had times where he could have like contended and sort of faded. But yeah, he's a, he's certainly he's very he's a very popular pick um, in the betting Twitter betting community. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I think he's he's a talent. He's certainly one to look out for. Yep. So we keep going on down here. We'll definitely talk on Hayden Barron later on in the show, mm-hmm. um, who we, we fancy this week, who, who finished the year strong, 25th um, at the Alfred Dunhill Links, second at the Western Australia. And then um, at Q School, he finished ninth. So definitely keen on his stretch. Jack Davidson um, will be a, a DP World Tour rookie this mm-hmm. year. He's been very good on the Euro Pro Tour in the past, had a middling year on the Challenge Tour. Um, Josh Berry, um, if you look at the another amateur, a little bit younger than Sam Jones, 18 years old. Josh Berry will be on the DP World Tour this year. Really, really cool for him. That's definitely um, the fairy tale. Just quickly, that's, that, yeah, that's definitely the fairy tale um, Q school story for sure. Like this is someone that wasn't even playing on the Clutch Tour last mm-hmm. year. Like he was just playing amateur events. I think. I think I remember betting him when he was 16 um, or not betting him, but he was in the field and he was playing in a one, eight, three, six tour, which is this little mini tour on in the UK, which Skybet used to price up. And I remember it was his, I think it was his home course in Doncaster or something like that. I didn't bet him. He didn't, didn't do that well either, but I just remember the name and I haven't really seen much of him since. And then he's just kind of get his, got his uh, DP world tour card and it's just, it's just bonkers, really. <laughs> For sure. I did, I did like the fact that he told this is in Ben's uh, Ben Coley's article about the graduates that he told the Yorkshire Post that his goal was to earn a PJ Tour card this year. Like, did he? Oh, that, that is brilliant. I mean, Fair play. Like, why not? <laughs> this great. I love that. It's got to be your aim, right? Like you don't want to go there and say my aim is to finish, you know, 106th and just keep my card. Um, exactly, a lot of players yeah. would say that. Do you know what I mean? Like a lot of players would go, look, I just want to keep my card and then I'll build from there. This guy is saying I want to, you know, get a PJ Tour card in my first season. Um, youngest member uh, of the DP 
That's all. I wouldn't so, put it past him after what he's achieved in the in I, Q's. There's <laughs> certainly a confidence factor there, isn't there, to, to get through that oh, many yeah. rounds at Q score 18 years of age. Like you look at, you know, we've mentioned it already, the Q score thing, like the amount of returning names you've seen. Um, it is hard and veterans that tend to get through here, like you know, Afibarmrak, Kroisovic, Paratore. Um, you know, I wouldn't call Christian Crew Hansen a, a veteran, but certainly someone that's been around, Darius Van Drill, Tom Lewis, like these are the names that you're used to going up against at Q School and you know, Garrick Porteous three for three, uh, in terms mm-hmm. of getting his Q school, um getting his card at Q school, and then you've got this eighteen year old that suddenly thinks he's gonna, you know, qualify. And I, and I don't mean that in a way of like knocking him down a peg, like it's not one of those like you'll learn moments, like I really do hope he goes and does it. Um it it would be a hell of a story. But the one that I kind of wanted to touch on was uh, Laurie Ruska, who won the <laughs> challenge after shooting a 59 in round one. And he actually, um, Ben points out, he actually opened with a 76 at Q score and still got through. So clearly mm-hmm. a high scoring ability there. Uh, you know, look at him in kind of like the, the Nordic events, I guess, would be the, the very obvious place to target him. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I think, I think for me, those are the kind of names that, that were worth covering. I'm looking, um, if we kept going, um, I'm trying to think who, so if you looked at another mini tour guy who I think he's a little bit older, but if, again, this is me not being as knowledgeable into like the circuit around you guys, but the, there's a sure. 2020 pro tour also something over there, right? Where Joe Dean. Yeah, Joe Dean. Yeah. So Joe Dean is definitely a UK mini tour player. Like yeah. he, he doesn't even play on the clutch tour, which is now, like sort of replace the Euro Pro Tour, um, okay. and there is an avenue to get onto the Challenge Tour from the. So that's the new okay. satellite tour below the Challenge Tour. But yeah, Joe Dean wasn't even competing in that last year. Like he was, oh, I think it was like the Jamaica. It might be the Jamaica or the uh, the 2020. And there's another one which I can't but written down on my. Yeah, I think more. Dean was the Order of Merit winner this past year on the 2020. 2020, yeah. 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 So which I mean, was a tour just set up by. Chris Hansen, who was a former DP World Tour player, went to Q School a few times, went back to the Challenge Tour, like good player, but just, you know, didn't quite make it um, to the level that he wanted to. I think he kind of had some driving problems and stuff, but like created a tour pretty much, I think, around 20, it might be called 2020 because the year, I'm not entirely sure. It was to bring both uh, male and females um to the tour and, and give people a shot i'm not even 100 sure if it's still going um there was talk of it potentially not being able to go but what a story to come through from that um the, these cards are not easy to come by um and, and he's going to go as well so two yorkshire lads there that we've spoken about um that picked up their cards uh, in different ways Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm gonna put a bow on it because I could probably talk through 30 other. It'll guys. be busy forever. <laughs> like, um, fine with these things is you actually really enjoy the story, which is something that we know we do, um, and hopefully people have got the value from it. But I think the main thing is that the, the couple of guys that we've given, the, the two guys that we've each highlighted in both the Q score and the Challenge Tour, are the guys that we think you know could conceivably have really good years, and and that's the main thing. The, the conversations we've had afterwards about the nice stories and things like that are great and good to give people to follow. But look at those kind of six guys that we've mentioned um, as the people that really think are going to go do well. Yep. So we'll play one more little uh, preview game before we give selections for the week. Um, so we each are going to pick somebody who, whether it's one of the graduates challenge tour 
or a DP World Tour regular as the guy we expect to get a PGA Tour card, and then a long shot from it. So I will go first um, for uh, somebody I expect to dominate this year. And it's actually somebody who didn't hold the DP World Tour card last year and is getting it through the order of merit um, this year. So Kazuki Higa was somebody who had this last year. This year, it is Kita Nakajima. For those who haven't been as familiar with him, Nakajima has been truly lighting the world on fire when it comes to, um, you know, professional golf, especially mm-hmm. in Japan. So he was, you know, former number one world amateur, and then he broke onto the scene basically professionally last year, or 2022, where he had some middling Japanese tour finishes, um, and then 23 just came out blitzing. Three wins overall, a flurry of other top fives. He went on a stretch that was second, second win, second, third, um, and then he basically just went head to head with Kanaya for the longest time on, on the Japanese golf tour. Mm-hmm. So now, you know, Higa did not really take to that um, status that he got. I don't see how Nakajima doesn't end up being one of the best players in the DP World Tour this year. Mm-hmm. No, I got it. Do you know what, Sky? When you when I when I, when I heard that, like, I completely disregarded the fact that I know we've already talked about that he's going to be on the tour, but you know, I was just thinking about. Who's graduated from the Kia School? Who's graduated from the Challenge Tour, rather than the other uh, routes of getting in? But yeah, he is 100% probably the best shout, and I'm gonna make a case for someone else. But yeah, no, I completely agree with you. Like what he's achieved, and what we've already said about High Setsune, like Nakajima is a level, a level above. Like I mean, he was always was, and he's already done it what he's done this year on the Japanese tour he's been brilliant like he's won three times he's been runner up a couple of times um and yeah he's always he's just constantly competitive and been consistent and I uh, yeah no I, I really cannot wait to see what he can do next year 100% full agreement so I I believe I, I have this written as the order of merit guys that are get it now the it's, it might be the same as last year. It could be slightly different. But if we remember last year, the guys that got starts a bunch were Gondis, yep. Higa, and Van Tonder. Those were the three that mainly did. So that's Nakajima coming off Japanese golf tour. Um, and then we looked at from the PGA Tour uh, of India is Am Prakash Chahun. I, yeah. Brian, I think that's the guy who won on uh, the Challenge won, Tour the first Yeah, he won on the right? Challenge Tour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, the Sunshine Tour Order of Merit, that's not Moolman, is it? Because Moolman got through, um, yeah, I think yeah, it's Scheidekick, right? Neil Scheidekick? Mm, no, yeah, 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 yeah. Neil so Oksh- I believe those yeah. are the three that... Secured. I'm sure, though, does that, when does, does the Sunshine Tour doesn't conclude, it's a different time, isn't it? So I'm unsure whether it, it is settled from that. You okay. know, the, I'm, well, I'm not... Certain. The other um, part of it is, remember, Tom, we talked in like in the summer, the Australasia tour wrapped up. I'm rather confident David Michaluzzi has a full time yep. DP World Tour card from the previous iteration of when that order of merit wrapped up. He just got it early. Yeah. Yeah. So we think he's definitely in. And look, he, should he, in, yeah. he would actually be the guy I'd be the most. Like Nakajima is obviously purely talent-wise. All those people that are kind of getting in for any graduate throughout everything we spoke about for the last hour and 18 minutes. Like he is the guy that you know has the highest ceiling. My, I guess my only one concern with Nakajima is he gonna commit full time. 
I think, I think so. now with the t- 10 starts or 10 spots, I feel like these guys probably should. Yeah. Because right? mm. didn't Hitsasune get his card through Q school? But no, really? but like, but for the PJ Tour card, I know he was one of the ones that got it in the end, but didn't he have a chance to get it just by playing at the, like the Zozo and from Japan anyway? Like, I just wonder if like they can see it as a pathway that way. Like, like I hope he commits, like because it would be great for DP World Tour for him to come and play a full, whatever it is, 30-odd event schedule for him. Um, mm. But I just look at someone that's won three times, runner-up another three, uh, three times, I think it was this year. Like, I feel like he'll find it hard to leave Japan at home. Like, that, that would be my only concern with Nakajima. He got, he got started had 17 starts last yeah. year. Higa did. So, but it could be like I feel like Tom Kim could have taken up status in the DP World Tour and never yeah. did either, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, I think I think he'll definitely take it up, and I think he'll play, and I think that there's enough events in Asia, and they got the Japan event. I think at the start of the season, they've got the Zozo, which I think does that count? It doesn't count, right? That's a PJ Tour only. But like, yeah. I think he'll make enough starts to come over for the Rolex series events and warm up for the majors and things like that. Like it, he will definitely play enough. I just want like from a pure, like, like I think he's going to do enough to kind of be in that contention for the PJ tour card, which is the point you're making sky. But like, I think for a pure, like his career progression, he might just get stuck between two tours. And I don't know necessarily how good that is at 23 years of age. I, I honestly think he'll commit though. I do. I do think but, if he's great. Yeah. Like, a, like I, th- a, I, th- I think I think he will. I'd be surprised if he doesn't. Um, and he'll always come back for the bigger. He might come back for the big events, you know. Um, you know, like the Dunlop Phoenix we saw last week, or the yeah the Zozo as you said. Because I mean, if you win the Zozo, that's your. Because you, you've had like can, we've had Kanaya, haven't we? And we've had people like that that have come over and and his mm-hmm. the office candidate. We've had them come over and and commit. So there's no reason to think that he definitely wouldn't. I just. It just strikes me as someone that, that there could be a real hard balancing act. Um, like if he commits, yeah. then then he's definitely in. No, I'm with you. Yeah, you don't. We don't know. We're we're, best, we're guessing, aren't we? Um, but yeah, I would be surprised if he doesn't commit with this opportunity. Yeah. Yeah, especially now that now, especially now with the ten cards at that clear yeah. pathway. Yeah. The I, other I, two guys, I I don't. So it lists KPGA and CGA order of merit guys too. So that would be Korean PGA Tour yeah. in China. Golf Association will yeah. be the two, so and I would Ling, so Ling Chiang uh, Lee maybe. Yeah. Jing Wu Ham was the leader last, according to my research, on this yeah. who had Jing Wu Ham yeah. Yeah, Ham Ham had five out of six of his last events. He finished inside the top five to close out the year on the KPGA, and this would be the one that I would absolutely love if we could get it, mm-hmm. and it's Lingang Lee, who's 20 years old. He won two or three times on the Chinese tour as an amateur or just turning professional. Again, he's 20 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, he had a spot start in the Asian tour series at the Volvo China Open, and I believe he was inside the top five after the first round, and then he melted on Friday. Um, but so yeah, he's he's been professional. I guess he's been professional. I don't know. I guess potentially. I guess he has been professional since 2021 or 2022, and he has done nothing but dominate in all of his starts. Yeah, you'd have thought he would have moved over a, a bit sooner, whether it be like the Asian Tour or the Asian Development Tour. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like he's he's. It'd be really cool if we could see him um, get a card. It'd be out of something a bit different. Um, and yeah, he's certainly a talent. Yeah, 
Leland yeah. Yan. So we'll see. But I'll I'll stick with Nakajima as my favorite. Um, and then uh, let's go, Brad. You can go with your favorite. Okay. So I was I found this tough. Um, I was tossing up between um, Bradbury and Hillier, and I did decide on Dan Bradbury in the end. And possibly a little recency bias coming in there, um, but I don't know, maybe not, because I just I, I just love what I'm seeing from him. He's he's just such an elite ball striker already. Um, his last four events, for example, wasn't outside the top 12 for ball striking, um, and that was in decent fields. Um, when he won the Joburg Open, I mean that was phenomenal. I think you were on, weren't you, Sky? Yeah. Um, yeah, he was second in ball striking. Um, when he was um, just a list of his best results here, 10th at the Sadal Open. Um, um, he was sixth in ball striking, uh, eighth at the British Masters. Uh, he was 10th in ball striking and sixth at the Andalusia Masters, his fourth in ball striking. It's just, it's without a doubt his, his biggest weapon. And I just think given it's his first year on tour, uh, playing courses for the first time, what he's achieved, what he's achieved, isn't um, getting talked about enough. Um, I think 24 years of age, he's just had an incredible rookie season, and I expect him to build on that. Like the aim will obviously be to improve on and around the greens um, and keep up the high level of ball striking. And yeah, I, I can I can see him getting a PGA Tour card next season. I really can. I think why I was so excited to do the show again, because yeah, last year was fun getting to pick Bradbury as one of my favorites coming out of Q school and then him winning in that first event and being on like that. That's it, man. That's why we do this. And mm-hmm. he is, I think there was a tweet at the last South Africa event where Bradbury was in the mix, like him and home. I mean, he was in the final group. Right. Um, and he like put it to like six inches and, and Pablo replied to it and said best iron player of the year question mark and for another tour player to say that you know about Bradbury's game I think passes what we've seen statistically all year long kid is mm-hmm. unbelievable mm-hmm. he he feels like Jordan Smith without a scar tissue like he yeah. like he's gone straight like Smith has obviously got two or three wins at least two um and like he's a, a, a very reliable, steady performer. Bradbury's just come out, and not only like the win, you can look at the Joburg Open, which obviously we can talk about, like as you know, limited field, end, end of a long year, like maybe a little bit of a freak result. But it's like Brad just listed off those those continuous results, and and it's and it is driven by this elite skill set, which is important. Like it's not just. Uh, I don't want to dig on Campillo. I've done this twice now, but like for someone like Campillo, who's just solid across the board, um, I know he can flash with his irons at times, right? But like for someone that is just so elite, tee to green, so good uh, with his iron play, I actually think he's got a really good chance of defending this year um, mm. at the Joburg Open this week. And look, mm. I I mentioned him as a as a lively outsider at Ned Bank. He was 125 to one, and he finished fifth there. And like you say, he had an actual chance to win, and he got. So 17th in the DP World Tour Championship in the end. And the the best thing you can kind of, he was side by side with Hitsasune. Like he was 18th, Hitsasune. And you look at him, Hitsasune in 18th, and you look at Tom McKibbin 32nd as like maybe Hillier, I guess, 38th. Like the four guys that are, you know, young players who have, have really played really well this season. And he's finished top of all of them. And it's because of that one skill set. And, 
yeah, I think he's probably the most reliable um, performer that we've seen in, in a one-year sample size in recent history. Yeah. I mean, he was in the final group with Rory at his first Rolex event, I believe. Yeah. Right? Sunday didn't go well, like, um, but no, I'm super keen on Bradbury again. All right, Tom, your choice? Uh, very, very basic from me. Uh, Rasmus Hoygaard, I just, he missed out very brutally. He was the last one not to get the card. Uh, we talked about kind of Yannick Paul, but Rasmus was right there. And look, I think the only thing that really happened to Rasmus this year was injury, um, and he still won. So, like, for me, I just, it's funny, we, we kept reiterating to people that there wasn't too much between Rasmus and Nikolai, and not to, when Nikolai was missing cuts, not to give up on him because the skill sets were close together. And all of a sudden, Nikolai's just gone far and beyond because he's got the Ryder Cup and he's got the DP World Tour Championship win and all this sort of stuff. And I think we're going to be quite quick to forget about Rasmus if he doesn't step up to the plate very quickly. And mm-hmm. that's pretty ridiculous considering how many times he's won already in his, in his career. Um, look, if he doesn't get a DP World Tour, a PJ Tour card, sorry, next season through a DP World Tour, I'd be very, very surprised. 22 years of age, four-time winner already, already beaten Rosner Paratore in his first start, Bernd Wiesberger in his third start, like, uh, third win, sorry. Like, it, he just oozes confidence and class, and I think the only thing that can really get in his way is if we have any sort of flare-up from those injuries last season. Um, if not, I think he's pretty much a shoe-in for one of the cards. I think he's going to win... Uh, again this season and it's a very lazy take but <laughs> he will be desperate to join his brother in america there's no two ways about it um and i think he'll do it had to be heartbreaking for him you know yeah. to, to finish one out yeah. and he was watching it happen whilst his brother well, was i know i know it's consoling him and all his yeah. brother was worried about was missing that five foot yeah. putt on the last for birdie yeah. which meant absolute fucking nothing yeah. <laughs> Uh-huh. 100%. Yeah. No, that's gutting. Um I would I would hope, you know, yeah. I'm I'm rooting for him to get that. He's probably going to get a few starts though, isn't he? I reckon next year on the PGA. Yeah, like he'll get like because they as much as they keep talking about this full series and all this sort of stuff like and the limited field events they can still invite players and he's going to be on that list. Like they're going to want to oh, this want that story. Yeah, exactly. Uh, for sure. And I, and I think he can definitely, you know, if he goes over for the Barbasol or the Barracuda or whatever it is that they do, um, or he does yeah. well in the Scottish Open, whatever he does, he can get himself some special temporary membership anyway. So I yeah. think at one way or another in the next, if he's not on the PJ Tour by 25, I'd be really surprised. I'd give him three years. That's probably too generous. Like, I think he does it next season. So. I think he does it next season as well. Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. All right. So we'll go a little bit longer shot to get the PGA Tour card. Um, this kind of... I have an angle here with my selection because I think I have two outs with this and it's Masahiro Kawamura and partly is I, I think he really, really wants to play on the PGA tour. And it's because I don't know if you guys picked up on this at all, but I stare at, you know, Q school all the time and kind of look through mm-hmm. them the stages. Kawamura actually didn't close out in the DP world tour season. He came and played first stage in the states and he got through pretty easily he was a first round leader there did well he tees it up next week in second stage for um the the pga or for corn Ferry tour qualifying school so mm-hmm. i'm i say this in the fact that if he stays on the the dp world tour which 
he should have the same type of status that he did all year long, then, you know, I think that he's somebody who we've, we've liked in specific events, plays really well at elevation, has a mm-hmm. lights out iron game, you know, can, can get hot, did really well in the States. Really fun player to watch as well. He's got all the shots, really fun player. I mean, Wentworth, he almost won Wentworth, right? Tom was on mm-hmm. him there. Like, yeah. Yeah. um, so I just think really highly of that game for somebody who doesn't show the consistency, who's down the board a little bit, and he he might end up you know playing in America this year, and and I would still think very highly of him, and he might even do better at like pitch and putt type of golf that mm-hmm. that the states brings than what the DP World Tour might ask of him sometimes. So um, that's kind of my, but I, I this was a tougher pick for me. Like I'm more maybe excited about the Q school or challenge tour guys. And I yeah. thought of when I went That's and looked at tough. this because down the board of DP world tour guys was not fun to select from. Mm-hmm. Oh, I like the pick though. I do like that. And I had no idea that he was in there. Uh, he was, at least you know with him what, where the motivation is at. That's where he wants to play. So For sure. yeah. No, it's interesting. All right, Brad, your selection. All right, so yeah, like yourself, I found this pretty tough. Um, I've gone for someone quite local to me, or my, where I, my hometown is, and that's Todd Clements, um, who broke through at the Czech Masters last season out of nowhere, uh, closed with a round of 63 and beat a number of top players like Wallace, um, I think Nikolai Hoygaard, um, Berg, and um, McIntyre as well was up there, just to name a few. And yeah, it was it was a massive statement. And I reckon it's got to give him the belief that he, he sort of belongs at this level because I reckon that he'd come up from the Challenge Tour his first season. Um, and, you know, as we see with a lot of players um, that sort of graduate, it takes a while, some more than others. Um, and, yeah, I think that win, he, he sort of he struggled. I mean, when you see players break through in fashion, in like Clement's fashion, you know, from from behind, um, it, it does some, there's, there's normally a drop off in form. Um, and we did see that with Clements. And so I think if he's going to have any chance next season, he's going to have to find some consistency. Um, he had that on the Challenge Tour. like That's how he got graduated to the uh, DP World Tour. So we know he can do it. Obviously, it's a different kettle of fish. Um, but it's his second season next year. He's already got a win to his name. He beat some really good players. Um, love his swing. I love his, I love his game. Um, his attitude and yeah I think he's this is a massive long shot by the way I mean, what if he gets a PGA Tour card next season he's got he's got a lot to improve on as I said consistency wise but we've seen his ceiling like we see well, I don't know about his ceiling but we've seen what he's capable of um, and at his best so we'll see it's either going to continue to get better or fizzle out like a Daniel Gavin's you know um, no disrespect, Daniel Gavins, but yeah, that's it's a massive long shot. But he's he's my guy. Who uh, who gets full time status first, Clements on the European or on the PGA Tour, or does his girlfriend Olivia Cowan is she full time on LPGA now, or is she still fighting for it? I think. I, I do know. I think. She, I think. I don't think she, she's got she got a bunch of starts in a row. I know. Yeah, she did, and she played really well. So maybe she's done enough for LPGA. PGA All right. Card. Maybe that's the yeah. motivation we need, though. Possibly. Yeah. Go. Yeah. They're they're a definite golf power couple there. So. Yeah. I saw that. Um, uh, O'Bear is moving in with Norman and, and Frida Kinholt too. So that's yeah, another Frida power Kinholt, couple yeah, they, got yeah. to, they got to deal with. So, um, Tom, who do you got? 
Yeah, I'm probably that guy that everyone's going to get to the podcast and go, yeah, duh, um, we don't need your kind of picks because they're not long shots. But look, I think Nick Backham just about qualifies as a long shot. Um, and, I, and I think he's got a real opportunity to do it. When you look, you know, we've spoken about him a couple of times now as a reference point for what people could go and do and emulate. He won that event, you know, in South Africa earlier in the year, really struggled after he missed, I think, like six of seven cuts. And then all of a sudden it seems to click. Fourth at the Czech Masters, seventh at the Irish Open, 20th in France, 25th at the Daniel Links, 13th in the Andalusia Masters. That was like all those finishes and late event spans to close out the season. Got himself into the Ned Bank, didn't do enough to get himself to the DP World Tour Championship. But I think overall, I mean, you're always going to be happy with a win. So the overall body of work already gets ticked off in that sense. But I think when he looks back, he goes, you know what, actually, I was consistent enough considering my type of game. And I think it would take a lot out of what he did towards the end of the season, kind of piling up like three top 25 finishes and four starts and seventh and fourth before that. Anyone that goes on to win and then posts another couple of top fives, to me, um, really stands out and, you know, he did a fourth and a seventh. So I think Nick Backham's got a good chance of, because we're taking away those depth pieces, right? Like, I think that's the really important thing to mention. Like, we've lost these kind of guys that, that you know, we lost 10 of the people that are ahead of him. And and I think yeah. that's what you've got to understand. Like, of course, that doesn't, you can't rule out the people that have come on, you know, got through Q score and, and qualifying, like we just said. But like, you're normally going to be looking up like who is above him in the rankings and all of a sudden you think okay well is Daniel Brand, Jens, Dan Torp, all these people that finished above him really going to go and get a PJ Tour card? Probably not and you know great respect to them so that's two out and then you take 10 out they've already got them and all of a sudden you get this criteria of like ah he's probably within the top 20 players that's probably got a chance of getting those 10 cards so um, I like Backham a lot I was really impressed with what he did towards the end of the season if I had to go a little bit kind of longer and I will just do that um, for the benefit, I don't know if it is longer, but I would go with Alex Fitzpatrick. Like I think, I think, yeah, he, I just, think he makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think I think he can do it. I think he can just roll into it again. Um, I think that if he can kind of get the help that, that Matt's got in his career, I don't know if he's quite as analytical as Matt is working with Molinari and doing his own stats, but if he can, and I think he'll go a long way. So those are the two guys I'd really look out to have a to have a big year. Perfect. All right, that's 90 minutes. That's a, a heck of a preview on what the 2023-2024 DP World Tour season. I reckon we've cut that short as well. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. We, we, we paused. We, we could have <laughs> talked, you know, for hours and hours. Now, from the Mayo Media Network side, this is going to be our basically sunset show for the year, calendar year. We'll be back in January, weekly previews. So this should be some evergreen content for that. Um, again, you can find us on all the different audio platforms, Daily Fantasy Sports, Picks and Bets, The Mix, uh, where you can um, you know, find not just us, but everything across Mayo Media Network, especially on the niche side of things. The show, like we mentioned from the top, is also going to be on Tom's um, Lost for Words um, network or uh, feed that you can find the audio version for it. Uh, we're going to transition and I'm only going to give us 10 minutes as we as we talk through, because I know, boys, if, if they got through 90 minutes of us listening here, uh, we appreciate you guys. And we'll go through some of our selections for this week specifically. Um, and you can always find us all on Twitter, too, where you can find me at Skyhook um, DFS. You can find Tom at Tom Jacobs 93 and Brad, you're at Bradley underscore Todd. Correct. That's right. Yep. 
Perfect. Yep. And Brad will give us three of his selections in each of uh, of the events. And then you could also find uh, the rest of his events or picks for not just these events, but across all the different circuits on Patreon, too, um, which he goes into deep details. Three winners last week um, for for Brad. Um, so, you know, let's let's stay with some good vibes here again. Last year was was awesome for us at, at Joburg. Um, so, Tom, I don't think we have. The luxury of going through the entire board. I think if you want to give some of your favorite selections or run through who you're on, we'll start yep. in Joburg and then we'll go to Australia next. Because we'll just we'll try to get through these in 10 minutes. Yep, just going to run through them. So Xander Lombard, very easily, uh, 33 to 1. Um, all these odds I'm quoting are the US odds. I'll do a recap for Lost of Words at the end for the UK listeners. Um, but Xander Lombard, he's, look, he's had two of his six runner up finishes have been um, in this. Um, in this event or in South Africa, and he's had six runner-up finishes so far on the DP World Tour. He rode third in Tees Green last year and fifth in approach as well in this event. So despite the fact he finished 54th, he played well here a year ago. So Xander Lombard kicks me off at 33 to 1. Francesco Laporta came through um, the Challenge Tour graduates. Um, We know at his best he can contend, um, and he's played really well in this part of the world as well. Second in Zimbabwe, third in Kenya, fourth in Zambia fourth in the Didata Pro-Am. He was 13th in this last year, and he was actually the only player outside the top four to post four rounds in the, in the 60s. So really happy with Francesco Laporta there. Um, and then two others for me very quickly. Sean Norris, a uh, veteran player. He's won a lot in Japan, three times at home. But last year was the first time one of those African events was the DPO Tour win, which is the Stein City uh, Championship. Last year, he finished 18th here, and he came in with form of 72nd miscut, 28th and 49th. He now comes in finishing 23rd, 3rd, 8th, 2nd, 37th and 17th, uh, all in Japan. So really love what Norris did. And then just very finally, Marco Peng. Uh, we know he won the, the, the Challenge Tour Grand Final. That was his second win in his last five starts. He was fourth in South Africa in the 2022 STC Open on the Challenge Tour, 30th in the same event in 2023, and he was also 20th in Mauritius. Uh, 12 months ago so likes this time of year and play well in this part of the world so those are my four picks for joe perfect uh brad we'll pass it over to you okie dokie so my first selection is going to be henny de places at 25 to 1 so i'm going to use english odds um this guy's surely got to win soon uh, it's been a long time coming uh, he's put himself in position a number of times hasn't capitalized if anywhere it's likely going to be in south africa where he has a fantastic record on home soil uh, Jack Nicholas redesigned Hilton Golf Club in 2009. Uh, the place has an excellent record on his South African design. Second place at both Stein City and St. Francis Links. Sit for Peking Wood, ninth at Serengeti. Um, he underpo- underperformed here last year, finishing 33rd. But he might have been a little bit rusty. His last event leading up to the Joburg Open was the Spanish Open nearly two months ago. This time round, he arrives off the back of an impressive tide sit finish at the Nedbank. Only a couple of weeks ago, really good field. Um, he hit the ball brilliantly as well, ranking second off the tee and 14th on approach. I feel as though he's in much better shape this time round. And yeah, he stands out as my favourite selection up the top of the market. Um, my second selection is going to be Renato Paratore, who as we talked about earlier, got through Q School. Um, yeah, he missed that. He actually missed out on getting his card at last year's Q School final by a shot. Um, but he made sure of it this time round and he's officially got his card back. In clutch fashion as well, it didn't look likely with two rounds to go. Closed with rounds of 67 and 65 to get the job done. Um, 
he got had a mix of starts last season on the DP World Tour and a Challenge Tour. Can't have helped. You know, he doesn't know where he's actually at or where he's um, playing. So, yeah, I don't think that done him the world of good. Um, but, yeah, he didn't do very well. His best finish came in the Abu Dhabi Challenge, tied seventh. He's now got full status. I'm expecting a massive improvement from him. Start pushing on again. I mean, this is a guy who's won twice on the DP World Tour, two run-up finishes, finished tied seventh at the BMW PGA at Wentworth in the past. Bazaar now, who finished third in this event last year, heavily fancy for this week, um, has an excellent record at Wentworth, finishing third and fifth. So there's a little tie in there. It's another tree-lined, well-bunkered golf course, difficult green complexes. So you can see some similarities with it. It's got a really steady record in South Africa. His last 10 cuts, uh, made his last 10 cuts, his best finisher of seventh coming down the road at Glendower um, at the South African Open. Um, so, yeah, lots to like with him. Um, he played here last year, finished 33rd, um, had three rounds in the 60s. But my favourite long shot um, in this event is going to be a Robin, middle name Tiger Williams, 150 to 1. Um, he was dubbed a massive talent at an early age. Um, it looks as though he's starting to fulfil his potential now. Um, he moved to Peterborough in the UK, age of eight from South Africa. He played a lot of his amateur golf in Europe. He's now moved back to South Africa to play on the Sunshine Tour. This year has been massive. He broke through on the Big Easy Tour back in August and a couple months later won the Fortress Open by six shots on the Sunshine Tour. That emphatic win at, was at Glendower Golf Club, just 15 minutes drive from this week's venue. Um, there's quite a bit of similarity, as I said earlier, tree-lined, heavily bunkered, parklands, played at altitude. Um, there are definitely similarities. He's, he's become a lot more consistent he hasn't missed a cut in his last 10 starts. He's up to 10th on the Sunshine Tour um, Order of Merit, um, finished 11th last time out. His biggest weapon is probably his distance off the tee. He can hit an absolute mile. Um, this will, for the most part, be negated here, as it was at Glendale when he won by six shots. But I think he'll just be clubbing down, which will result, hopefully, in better accuracy. So, yeah, he could be able to use it to his advantage. Um, what I liked the most is he played in a 36-hole event uh, last week, a Gary Player Invitational. It was like a charity event. Um, he won the 36-hole event, uh, shooting 10 under. I think he went bogey-free final round. And this is in Sun City, at Lost City course, tough course. I think that acts as a perfect warm-up going into the event. Um, he's obviously cited Gary Player in an interview afterwards as an inspiration. You know, he, I reckon he's going to get a lot from that, um, as well as what he's already achieved this year. Sorry, I'm rambling on. Um, but yeah, he missed a cut here last year, but he's transformed as a player since then. And he's definitely one to keep your eye on. Um, and he could be ready to make an impact at this level. So that's it. Beautiful, beautiful sell job there. I love it. Um, for me, um, I'm going to be going with Frederick LaCroix, uh, 50 to 1. Uh, we get the six way, six places here in the States for all of these pretty much. Um, so LaCroix, why I really like him, again, just super consistent in challenge tour finish, five consecutive top 15s. Um, I was on, I believe, um, at the Joburg, yes, at the Joburg Open, the one that got shortened to 36 holes when Thriston Lawrence was blowing it in the third round, and LaCroix was ready to pounce there. That was at the previous course, but has shown well in South Africa, a lot of form. 50s are short, but I think he's uh, I think he's the class right there with Alex Fitzpatrick of the Challenge Tour guys. Tom, this might be the first time I have been on this guy, and you are not, and that is Ross Fisher at 70-1. to 1. Ross Fisher had a steady 
when I, I think it's steady end of the season. He was actually fighting for his card. He was somebody that the back nine mattered on that last Sunday. He finished the year four straight made cuts. Um, and whereas he played exceptionally well, South Africa. We went in detail on what Bradbury does really, really well. Bradbury won at this course last year. I would arguably say the next best approach player in the field It consistently over time is Ross Fisher. So if you need somebody who can strike the irons, who doesn't putt that well, it's Ross Fisher showing up here now kind of playing a little bit of free freeloading there. So 70s for him. I'm with you on Laporta, Tom. I'm with you, Brad. I'm Robin Williams. Awesome sell jobs there. It's 80 for Laporta in the States, 150 for Robin Williams here. And then the two South African long shots that I like, one that's been bet down a good bit, but I'm still willing to be on Luca Felipe, who's 24-year-old. Um, he's 250 to one, comes in basically top you know, tens every single event on the Sunshine Tour right now. If you look at his specific statistics, he was fourth in greens and regulation last time out, seventh the time before, um, <clears throat> ninth, two starts before that, seventh between there. He won the challenge, um, or I guess the match play event that they have um, on that Sunshine Tour circuit. So for me, Felipe is somebody um, who, or Felipe has a lot of promise, made the cut here last year after being 106th in the first round. 15th here as an amateur as well. And then finally, we'll have a 1,000 to 1 shot this week with Nikhil Rama. So Rama, R-A-M-A, um, somebody I, I'm pretty keen on, I feel like, this week. He has played here twice. He finished fifth on the Sunshine Tour, and then he was 33rd last year in this event so if you looked at this event last year, he came in off of a withdrawal, miscut, miscut. He had not a single top 10 finish in a few months prior to that. At the age of 21, he was 106 after the first round, worked himself all the way up to 33rd. So some promise here at this specific course. He's got three fourths in his last seven events. Um, you know, young kid, I think a lot of talent that we've seen. So 22 years old um, as an amateur. He was okay. I mean, pretty decent. It wasn't as as strong as some of the South Africans as we get coming out of there. But I think for a thousand to one and some upside, of course, I'll ladder that out probably to a top twenty-two. Um, I, I really do enjoy what Rama has to offer this week. Love that. Okay, Aussie, Tom. Yeah, David Michaluzzi, twenty-five to one, um, kind of sells himself right. Twenty-eight to one, I think he is in the states. Um, first and second is last two starts in Australia. Uh, absolutely loves his golf course. Ninth and sixth in his two starts here. It was quite encouraging that the sixth came in the in the tougher field, right? Um, you'd think it'd be the other way around. But 14 for the Dunhill Links recently. We saw him come over to the Open Championship. We saw him make some spot starts on DP World Tour. Think a lot of him. And look, I don't think it's easy to take on the top of the market here, but I'm going to do it with someone that's very comfortable at home. Um, the other one is Daniel Hillier for me at the top of the market, 40 to 1. Um, we've already spoken about Hillier at length, but 12th, 9th, 19th, 15th, 33rd, 38th, all since winning um, the British Masters. So Hillier's just been exceptional. Didn't actually last uh, the four rounds here last year. He finished 70th, but interestingly, he was 10th after two rounds. And I think now that he's kind of a a winner on a DP World Tour, he can kind of settle into to that. So I think there's a lot to, to like about Daniel Hillier still. And then I've got a couple of really rogue long shots, which uh, if I was asked to pick them out of a lineup, I wouldn't really be able to. Um, but 
the first one is Cameron John, uh, 23rd and 19th, miscut 15th, 9th and 29th in his last six starts, obviously at lower grade, but also in his two starts, his golf course, 9th um, in the weaker field. And then he was third after 36 holes in a strong field here 12 uh, months ago, 11th after 54 holes and eventually finished 28th. Got a decent amateur pedigree, um, won some good events uh, in that respect. So like the look of him. And then a bit more of a veteran, uh, Andrew Dote, who is 600 to 1. Um, look, he deserves to be 600 to 1, but he's got a third and 11th amongst his last six or seven starts. And it's what he's done at this golf course that really impressed me. He was second uh, here last year. It was in the weaker field, but that was his second second place finish in the Australian PJ Championship. It's also got like an eighth and a thirteenth here in this event as well. So just somebody that's, you know, really loves this event, loves playing at home. And actually, when you look back at his career on the DP World Tour, he was actually, you know, pretty solid. He's, he's won um, two times on the DP World Tour, um, three times total of the Asian Tour. Two of those were uh, co-sanctioned. Uh, he also lost two playoffs and he played well. Uh, he was sixth at the BMW PJ, Wentworth, fourth at the Scottish Open qualified for the 2017 Open where he made the cut. So ultimately, this is a guy that's got a bank of really good form at a top level. Uh, this is a bigger field than maybe he's used to in recent years, but I do think even at 37, he can compete in his home uh, town or city, whatever you want to call it. Uh, so Andrew Dote there, 600 to 1, and that is my card. Nice. Perfect. Bradley. So I've gone for Mark Leishman up the top. He looks the best value for me. Um, he started to play a lot better in his last few events on Live. Uh, two runner-up finishes in the seventh place in his last five starts. Um, the stats we get from Live are very limited, but Leishman's been hitting a lot of greens three times in the top six for greens and regulation in his last five starts. And these greens here are heavily protected by nasty greenside bunkers, so I think finding greens is going to be important. Um, along with a pro, um, approach play. Uh, approach play is very important, according to Scrivener, who finished second last year. He said it's a approach play course. Don't have to be the longest, but can plot your way around in a strategic fashion. I think that'll suit Leishman, and he did play relatively well here last year, finishing tied 12th. And given his recent performances and improved ball striking, I expect he's going to improve on that this year. And he's yet to win a, a major Australian title, which I think he is very much wants to do. So, yeah, he's going to be heavily motivated to get one under his belt. So I really like Leishman. Um, and then I've gone for Sean Crocker. Um, sorry, Leishman was 22 to 1, didn't say that. Sean Crocker, 50 to 1. Um, and as I said earlier, approach play looks to be vitally impor uh, important this week. Sean Crocker. Sean Crocker has to be on my card. Um, his ball striking has been back to its normal self. The last three starts, he hasn't quite got the results to go with it. And that will come down to his flat stick, which is letting him down. Um, he has ranked fourth, 18th and eighth on approach in his last three starts. And he comes into this um, event in good shape. He hasn't played at this course before, but he does have some good memories in Australia and in this event. He has finished seventh and ninth at this uh, at the Australian PGA in back-to-back -back years. He's also finished fifth at the Super Six event in Perth. So that's three top ten finishes from four events in Australia, which kind of begs the question why he hasn't uh, come back sooner. It's been three years since he's um, competed in Australia. So it's kind of mind boggling um, given his recent success there. But yeah, he's back this week and I really like his chances. And then as we touched upon earlier, um, Sam Jones, um, he, he opened up at a thousand to one. 
Um, I was absolutely blown away when I saw the odds on this guy yesterday. Um, as we've already said, top 100 amateur, won twice on the Charles Tour. I won't repeat myself because um, we've gone on about him so much. But yeah, he's got experience in Australia, played in good amateur events and he's close to home. What he achieved at Q School was incredible. And I'm going to ride, ride, ride Sam Jones's momentum this week and hopefully he can pull something out of the bag for us. Um, and I like him for a top 20 as well. Yeah, I mean, we have to be in on Sam Jones. I totally agree. Um, he's 600 still in the States here. Um, I know there was some long top 20s out there, too. I mm-hmm. believe he found like a 40 to 1 on a top 20. Yeah, ridiculous. Yeah, um, so, you know, big on him this week, 600s. If I go all the way through my card for it here, I'm starting with Curtis Luck. It's more of... Just the way he finished the year um, overall, I mean, Luck is somebody, if we put him head-to-head against Crocker, they're basically the same odds. We're around 50 to 70 here in the States. Luck did really, really well on the Corn Ferry Tour to end the year. Plays well at difficult golf courses. I wouldn't say his irons are flashing in the same way that Crocker's are. He was top 23 of his final four events uh, in greens and regulation. He's a really good short game. I just feel like when I look at the board and see his recent performance, it's like a top 10, top 8 type of form coming in, and the odds just bit of discrepancy from where he's placed there. So in on him um, at 50, we talked about Hayden Barron earlier. Barron has two, I believe, top 12s at this course. Yeah, ninth as an amateur and then a 12th last year. Comes in again second on the Australian Tour, 25th at the Alfred Dunhill where he was lights out ball striking in the one event that we got it for. And then ninth at Q School, he's won 25 to 1. Diane Lawson or Digger Lawson uh, is his nickname. He comes in off of second, eighth, third first 11th second second um but the one thing i wasn't sure brad i don't know if you have any color to this but this has been bouncing between the asian development and the australasian tour he withdrew last week yeah. after two rounds and he was in third when he was 71 69 and withdrew yeah i saw that i had no idea uh, so, why he didn't i mean he still has a tea time last i checked um I will make 100% confirmation here, but um, that was the one fear that I had uh, with Lawson. In, in yeah. fact, if he's going to confirm, yeah, he still has a tee time. So maybe he just had to make sure he was back um, for mm-hmm. it because that event was in Asia. Um, so he's 200 to 1. Um, arguably my favorite bet, maybe even between the two events, there is a 400 to 1 available in the States on Julian Surrey. Surrey had a remarkable comeback on the Challenge Tour. A lot of scar tissue when it comes to Surrey. You know, we thought the world of him, almost making that similar Kepka Uline type of, you know, stratospheric yeah. run through the Challenge Tour and then the European Tour, and then just stalled out hard. Really, really hard injuries, wrists. Um, and then finally, he gets to run the Challenge Tour with three top three finishes in his final seven events. And then he's flying through Q School uh, for the Corn Ferry, too. So he got through first. He got through second last week and then flew all the way to Australia for it. And then he's going to have to come back for final stage here pretty soon. So I think it just says a lot that he's got to take advantage of his form and the opportunities. So he's 400 to one here. Um, so I think a ton of him there. And then Sam Jones, like you mentioned. And then I wouldn't be remiss if um, we didn't you know, put up, after all this talk, the one and only Austin Batista. 
He's also mm-hmm. 600, 501 with Sam Jones. Austin Batista, who we've talked on the show plenty of times, mini tour, tour you know, unbelievable. He won three, four starts ago, and then he was fifth at the Victorian PGA last time out. Uh, I believe he did make the cut in this event last. No, he did miss the cut last year um, in this event. But I don't know. Batista, I'm not scared of. If he's on a leaderboard with big, big dogs around him, I think he's got that that winning mentality. He oh, won yeah. literally out of nowhere. That he's event got the stones on him, hasn't he? He's got the stones for yep. sure to compete with the better players. Yeah. So um, I think that puts a bow on it for me. Uh, our friend Robson Chinhoy is teeing it up in the Joburg Open this week. Not on <laughs> him, but always no. need to shout out Chinhoy. I love it. Perfect. Yes. Um, I think I'm out of breath. Brad's out of breath. Tom, you holding up all right? I'm good. I'm just, good I'm, just, I'm just sat on mute for the last 10 <laughs> minutes, so I'm absolutely fine. Um, <laughs> look, I, I think for me, that was a show that was really important. Like, I know that we've rapid-fired through the picks there, and if people came for the picks, then they've got a lot to go through. I think we'll kind of point out, as we're yep. launching the episode right, that they're gonna, the picks are going to be at the end. Um, but ultimately, like, you've got our thoughts everything that we've kind of compiled so far and it's evolving like there'll be we've got three or four weeks now but you know i don't know we're definitely not going to do another show probably on uh on the mayor media network and me and brad are kind of using this as a litmus test to see what we're going to do um for the rest of the year right so we've got some studying to do some some more preparations to do there's there's some, some holes to fill um even just going through this has improved my process going into the year so um mm-hmm. i think that in itself adds an awful lot of value just knowing these guys. I mean, look, there are a lot, there are a lot of names that we recognise on those on those two lists of Challenge Tour and um, Q School qualifiers. But there's also names that I didn't know until you know started looking into this. So um, hopefully that added added value there. It's been two hours. We've really dug into it. Um, Sky's got COVID. Brad's ill. I'm I don't know what I am, but I'm fine. Um, so <laughs> we, we um, look. It's, it's been a slog, but it's been a really good, informative podcast, I think, um, humbly speaking. So yep. hopefully you see a lot of value from it. And uh, hopefully, if we don't identify the winner in our picks, you've at least got something from our discussion that you can go and put a bet on. Maybe it's yes for sense and we should probably be betting on this week. Uh, <laughs> for sure. This is evergreen for the rest of the year, into the into the year. You know, something that uh, I appreciate, Brad, you coming on, providing a, a ton of knowledge. Anything else to part with on your end brad no not at all i think we've uh i think we've covered a lot of it i just want to say thanks for having me on i thoroughly enjoyed it it's as you said i think we're all equally passionate about uh this time of year when we see some new faces on the dp world tour and yeah it's just, just go through them all it's uh, it's fun and i hope uh, other people um watching this and listening can uh, get something from it Well, thank you both for the time. Thank you, listeners, if you've gotten this far into the show. Um, You know, we're excited to to kick things back off for this 23-24 season. A lot ahead. Again, we'll be posting still. You know, we're around, but this is a good time for us. uh, And everybody, enjoy your holidays with the family. Stay healthy. Stay well. Enjoy um, some lovely DP World Tour golf here. And best of luck. And we'll catch you in the new year. Thanks so much. Mm